1: Alright, I am recording for Contrarians Corner for
0: Snowpiercer. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host, cohort, Julio. Uh, I guess not, no, not a co-pilot. What do you call, a conductor, a co-conductor, uh, for today's intents and purposes. What's uh, is it a... Cabin mate? Is it? Is it cabins also in trains? I don't know, someone to wear pajamas with and eat steak with is basically what my main takeaway of it was. (laughs) We are here today, Julio, to talk about 2013's Snowpiercer. I thought this was before the first Captain America, but Chris Evans dipped his toe into the artistic pool, did he not?
1: Uh, No, right? Because this, I mean, Captain America's 2010, 2011?
0: Yeah, again, those kind of blend together. So when I had to do my fact checking on that, I was just kind of surprised that he went this route after already cashing in the big checks. But yes, the first Captain America was 2011. So he had already assumed the role of Cap and uh, just decided to do something really gross and dingy and dirty and smelly. And that was uh, what we're here today to discuss.
1: It was like a rebellious teenager. It was like. Where do I go after I've succeeded as much as I can on my field? I'm just going to throw a tantrum on an artsy movie.
0: Julio, we are joined today by a guest, though, as, uh, you know, every once in a while, someone from the podcasting community, a friend of ours will come and join us on here. And I think there's a bit of reason behind this movie. Um, So before we go ahead and introduce our guest, let's go ahead and get the pleasantries of the Contrarians out of the way uh, for... Any and all returning listeners, thank you very much. For any new listeners, greatly appreciated. Give us a second here. We'll get to our guests in just a moment, uh, and we'll get going after we explain what it is we do here. Uh, here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. As we say, we find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, that uh, beautiful IP of that tomato with that sash on it, Uh and we will make a case for maybe why that movie's a bit overrated, maybe why the critics uh, were a bit too blowhard on it, find some of the negative elements that were kind of uh, overshadowed or just downright ignored, uh, and bring them to light. Uh, conversely, we'll find one of those nasty green splotches. We shoot for usually about 30% and below the rotten films uh, as declared by Rotten Tomatoes, and make a case for the positive merit that those films have, and maybe some of the things that were overlooked or um, uh, unjustly scrutinized. Being that 2013 Snowpiercer, directed by Bong Jun ho of very recent fame, uh, sits at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. We will be making a case. We'll be cutting this down to size, just cart by cart. We're going to be dissecting this train. But Julio, if listeners want to know how we and our guest feel about this, they just need to hang around to the second portion of the podcast.
1: That's correct. Once we get to the second half of the show the aptly named Real Talk, then we'll be sharing our true feelings about this movie. Uh, in your case, Alex, this is your first time watching it, and mm. uh, you sent me a couple of texts uh, a little while ago, so I know a couple of things that you have to say about the movie, but that doesn't really even hint at what your final actual score might be. Uh, in my case, this is uh, probably the fourth time I've seen it, and I don't remember what I've said about it on the show before. So uh, either way those two things are big question marks. Now, as far as our guest, and she's she's boarding the train right now. As far as our <laughs> guest, she she suggested this movie. She first suggested this movie for the show, and then she said, and damn it, I want to be part of this. <laughs> so, so she's here. And that kind of, unless her opinion has changed in this last rewatch, I think she, real talk is mostly going to be her Praising uh, the work of uh, Bong Joon Ho and Chris Evans and everybody else in that filthy train. Uh, but I don't know. We could be surprised. Whatever
0: the case, real talk is when you find out how we all really feel. Let's get rid of the suspense, Julio. We've been teasing. We had a guest on here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce I was her? Letting her to... put
1: her luggage up and you know
0: just get get. Did you get not get pay attention ready? to this movie? We got to cram everyone on and just get going. That's yeah. You got to
2: find me in the crowd of dirty people.
0: Got to lift uh, Octavia Spencer's
1: skirt and find you there. <laughs> uh, well, that voice is Jocelyn Martin, which all listeners of the show might remember our uh, female filmmakers arc from a few years ago. And that was the first time that we attempted to get Jocelyn on the show. But Jocelyn is such a busy <laughs> internet personality. Yes. and
2: very, very busy and important.
1: Yes. It's so yeah, that, that, that couldn't happen. Expensive. There were scheduling issues. But now, finally, it just... That everything aligned the the planet literally froze over and we were able to mm-hmm. get jocelyn on the show so mm-hmm. uh so welcome jocelyn martin famous podcaster we will <laughs> we'll talk about your shows in the second half but uh what do you have to say for yourself right now
2: um nothing except it's a pleasure to be here i uh have prepared to talk about Snowpiercer by not showering for a week, (laughs) and uh, I've been eating only gelatinated cockroaches, and I don't feel great, so (laughs) I feel like I'm very much in the mood.
1: That's how you get in the zone, yes.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm coming for you there at the front of the train, so watch out.
0: We go from the Lazarus, the boat of our last episode, and Jason takes Manhattan to the train uh, designed and rolled out by Wilford. Does Wilford have a first name? Ed. Hmm. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> He's just the omnipotent Wilford. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot to get to with this movie, and we're, we're we've boarded, we're taking off, so now it's just the pre uh, pre ride instructions. Julio, uh, as I mentioned, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. That means, you know, most of these critics, this was before Parasite, but they were already all aboard the uh, Bong uh, train. And what were they saying about this?
1: Let's grab a few quotes from Rotten Tomatoes' website, starting with Dorothy Woodent from the Tai, British Columbia, who says, It is so rare that something lives up to expectations that it can feel like a goddamn miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Bong Joon-ho's snowpiercer. I, I don't know how this could live up to anybody's expectations because how could you expect this at all? Like, yeah. I guess maybe she read the graphic novel that this was uh, based on. Uh, was
2: it based on a graphic novel?
1: A French Is graphic
0: that what it novel. Was? I, I, Ooh. I, I yeah. Les Transpiercinogens. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> it's uh, it's la right la. in front of me, but yeah. I'm, it's uh, The Snowpiercer. Snow yeah. <laughs> Later retitled The Escape.
1: Okay. and Peru is uh, where is the Chris Evans
0: (laughs) where is Captain America Uh,
1: David Sims from the Atlantic says that rare experience you don't get to have much in the summer anymore a loud clanging original action flick that's grabbing you by the lapels and yelling in your ears that doesn't sound like a pleasant experience Uh, David Sims do you like being grabbed by the lapels being yelled at by a movie
0: I don't know if Chris Evans is doing it I'd be down for it If Alison Pill was yeah. doing it I'd be down for it
1: Put me on that train <laughs> How about if uh, Billy Elliot Is doing it Did you even yeah. recognize Billy Elliot in that movie Alex I know Jocelyn looks like She's a big fan of uh,
2: I definitely did Jamie Bell <laughs> Yes.
1: Uh, no I can't say that I did It's uh, his Chris Evans' is,
0: uh, sidekick Oh okay
2: You've seen Billy Elliot right
1: He just wants to dance he wants to be a ballet dancer
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's and, that's why you know that.
2: And his father doesn't want him to be a ballet dancer because no son of his is going to be a ballet dancer.
1: Nope. And that's, you nailed the accent, too.
0: That's the movie that uh, on Modern Family, Cam and Mitchell talk about because every time, like, Cam tries to explain the plot, he starts crying. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and finally, Naguin Lee from The Script Lab says, the right ticket to spend on is the one that will get you onto a train. This train. All aboard. I had to include it because, you know, there are so many train puns. I figure Mm -hmm. I would would throw the script lab a bone and feature theirs. All aboard, Alex.
0: Let's take off in the most awkward way possible with the very first thing that hits the screen is the Weinstein Company. So... (laughs) Puts you in a in a certain state of mind. Uh, this movie is streaming for free on Tubi, so that is how I came to watch it. Uh, Jocelyn, do you own this? How did you uh, watch it for this uh, discussion?
2: I chose to watch it with commercials, so it was free on Amazon Prime, which was upsetting. But the first time I watched it, I somehow it was on netflix for a time or something you know they rotate through mm-hmm. somehow i had a streaming service that just i could watch it all the way through so
1: yeah i i saw i had the options of the imdb through amazon that's with commercials or yeah. tubi which is also with commercials <laughs> so either way i was gonna get hit with uh with some uh force breaks in between some of the craziest things happening on the screen mm-hmm. uh, good old tubi coming to the rescue, and I guess sometimes Amazon Prime, uh, IMDb will do it too, because yeah, this is not streaming anywhere else.
0: Uh, yeah, which is surprising after the 2020 that uh, Bong Joon-ho had. Uh, as we go into this, I would just like to remind my co-host and our guest, uh, I have still not seen Parasite. I plan to, and I've been relatively spoiler-free up until this point, so if you're going to make <laughs> any like parallels or allusions to one another, let's keep them vague. Ah.
1: <laughs> Good. I- I'm glad you did that, although my only Parasite-related note I have is the dad from Parasite, because the, the guy that they free, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the guy that's the prisoner that they mm-hmm. rescue, he's the the dad in Parasite, and uh, I can never remember his name, like the actor's name, or the character's King name. Kang Yeah, well, it's a lot easier for me to say the dad from Parasite, because that way everybody <laughs> was, knows yes. who I'm talking about, right away, <laughs> except for Alex,
0: I guess. I do now, so... All right. So the Weinstein company starts us off with Snowpiercer and right away kind of a odd play. My note says jobber credits in the opening. We go through like all the shit that never makes it onto TV at the Oscars in the opening credits. You know, it's not just like Chris <laughs> Evans is the Snowpiercer. We're getting like information <laughs> on makeup and who did the music and shit. It's uh is this something he did in Parasite? Is this what does he like to front load and show, "Hey, these are all the people that made it." I don't remember it, it, I don't how it remember. works in Parasite.
1: I I just hear my assumption is that he had so much backstory to get through in those opening sort of voiceovers before you actually get to the train that uh, he was like, well, we're done with the main credits and we still have about five minutes of exposition that we have to deliver. <laughs> just keep throwing people up there. Keep going because we still have to tell him about the 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 chemical that we released and all that other stuff. So... That would be my guess, but you know it's been a while since I've talked to uh, to joon Ho, so I don't know. I'll have to check with him uh, next time we we talk.
0: So, as opposed to just trying to make sense of what happens here, as we do from time to time, we turn to good old Wikipedia, and I'm just going to kick us off here with the plot summation: being 17 years after an attempt to stop global warming via climate engineering uh, catastrophically backfires, creating a new ice age in 2014. Uh, parentheses, uh, shit! I couldn't even pull that off. I was gonna say, if you're looking for Ice Age with Ray Romano, click here. Uh, <laughs> the the remnants of humanity have taken it to. Uh, a circumnavigational train, the Snowpiercer, run by reclusive transportation magnate Wilford. The passengers on the train are segregated, with the elite in the extravagant front cars and the poor, in the squalid tail compartments controlled by armed guards. Uh, there's an actual chemical they name later in the movie, if not in the beginning, I didn't catch. C- CW7. So, as with most things... Uh, Especially modern movies with all the politics that come into play. They're just trying to show us right away how stupid we are. They're like, y- your naivety will get the best of you. But Bong uh, Jun Ho, he couldn't even be patient about it. He couldn't even base it 10 years in the future. It's supposed to take place like months after this movie's release, which we weren't <laughs> that bad off yet.
1: Yeah, but maybe, I mean, no, I was about to say he, he saw like Trump running on the primaries and he was like, ah, oh, we're done. Gotta get this out. <laughs> Um, you know, what you just read, that is kind of cheating because, well, Jocelyn knew that and I knew that because we'd seen the movie before. But mm. I can only imagine, Alex, how difficult it must have been for you coming in cold into this movie and taking notes and, you know, knowing that you had the responsibility of leading us in the in the this journey of, you know, recounting the plot, because this movie takes forever to actually explain what's going on. So were you like thrown into this train and just at a loss for a while trying to like figure out why they were stuck in a train and why they were being oppressed and what that had to do with global warming.
0: I mean, I've seen water world before, so I basically <laughs> got the gist of what was going on, but same uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, I, I don't know. I, I knew the basic premise of this. I didn't know it was all caused by global warming per se, or like a, I knew it had something to do with climate change, but I didn't realize it was cause that Simpsons joke. We fired a, missile at it to try to fix it and it backfired on us (laughs) but uh i mean that is certainly in a lot of cases something i appreciate as i've talked about numerous times on this podcast i'm a big fan of like being dropped into a universe and kind of just having to pick up the pieces and figure it out for myself what's going on as opposed to just being kind of coddled and everything explained to me there's extremes to that, though. I shouldn't be having to look up shit online to figure out what's going on in your movie. <laughs> and that's what I found myself doing here. Uh, you know, my notes right off the bat is just like, 17 years, question mark, global warming, dot, 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 dot. This is a terrifying <laughs> scenario. Serious. Chris <laughs> Evans is back. We all eat Jello. Those are my first few lines of notes just trying to figure out what's going on.
2: <laughs> Jell-O, we should be so lucky.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my main note opening here is just that that prologue felt like it told me the story of a prequel that I would have preferred watching instead of watching Snowpiercer. I think the story of how humanity manages to completely, absolutely fuck up the planet right before this movie starts, like, I wanted to watch that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, okay, if if box office is good, then give me the sequel of what happens in the train. But the real story, what I'm going to connect to is just seeing uh, the world attack global warming the worst possible way like you said by shooting at it
0: <laughs> that's the american way though man just <laughs> yeah. firing up and i understand there's mm. multiple nationalities on this uh train but that that just reeks of american um, <laughs> arrogance uh before you can even really get adjusted I, I don't know you you guys did you guys both see this at the time of release i did no okay no. so you saw this later, so I think it's a good measuring stick here between the three of us. Uh, but even more so that for Julio, because you saw it at the time of release, wasn't it kind of just weird how they just really nonchalantly introduced Octavia Spencer, considering she was coming <laughs> off of winning an Oscar? They were just kind of like, "Here she is." <laughs> I did. I cannot. I like Octavia Spencer. In fact,
1: I love Octavia Spencer. I think that she's is such a, such an empathetic actress. But Octavia Spencer action star it just doesn't work for me. For two reasons. One, because it's just, you know, some people you just can't buy as action stars. Like, mm-hmm. like if you put me in Die Hard, you're like, that guy's not going to make it. You know? And, and Octavia Spencer, she makes it far into this movie. So, don't buy it. Number two, because I love Octavia Spencer, it's just like a little too much to see her get beaten up in this movie. Which is like I don't I don't need to see that, you know? Like have them punch Chris Evans. I don't need to see Octavia Spencer with a black eye. So uh yeah it was it was not a pleasant uh thing just seeing her.
0: Uh and that's almost rounding out our cast of characters in the do they call it the foot or the shoe, the tail? What are they what do they refer to it as? The back section? The back.
2: Yeah the back section.
0: Oh I've got shoe on the brain because we have They the, are
2: the foot though, you're right.
0: The <laughs> yes. foot, yeah. Uh
2: yes. Tilda makes that metaphor.
0: Yeah, we get the big shoe speech.
1: That was Mm -hmm. on the translator's day off. That whole speech, it was just (laughs) Bong Jun ho had some serious difficulties with the screenplay in that
0: part. So, officially rounding out uh, the five piece that kind of helps facilitate the operations, or at least is Prophesizing this whole uh, takeover, this hostile takeover. We have Jamie Bell as Edgar, who is the sidekick to Chris Evans in this, and then John Hurt as Gilliam, who is like, I don't know. Uh, is Not there William Hurt? I was gonna say, who is over Morpheus? Isn't there someone like an old timer that's over Morpheus? Would that be the Oracle in the Matrix? I think so.
1: You're the one that's seen those more recently, Alex. I know, and I can't
0: stop thinking about them because I have watched oh. the the first two recently.
1: There's like an an older captain, I guess, that kind of dresses him down in the sequels. Like, oh, you're a fanatic, and I'm a real believer. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the vibe you get from John Hurt here. He's such a nice old man. No,
0: but he's still he's still like one step over Morpheus. That's what I'm saying. Like, I was trying to think of, he's like a nicer version of Morpheus. He's all-knowing, but he's not, you know, kind of a bitch a lot of the time and not very <laughs> condescending. He's uh, really one of the more likable characters in this movie, so it's you know natural by the end that you just fucking hate him. It, it makes all the sense.
1: I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw this to both of you. To me, and that is my mm. note, I'm like, there is no movie that wouldn't be improved if you replaced John Hurt with William Hurt. <laughs>
3: how,
1: how do you feel about William Hurt, Jocelyn? As a,
2: how do you tell the two apart? <laughs>
1: Well, one, you know, I don't think William Hurt has a mustache. I gotta look him up. Uh, So William Hurt would be the sexy man in uh, Michael, which is a movie we covered on the show. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was also in
0: uh, Lost in Space, the movie. He was Kevin Costner's conscience in Mr. Brooks. Yes, yes, he was. Uh,
2: I know this guy. Yeah. (laughs) He's just younger, basically. He's the exact same person, he's just younger. I
1: mean, I, I would I would like to see him just kind of leading the resistance in the, over here, mentoring. Okay. Uh, because he's not so frail, like John Hurt. It was like, come on, how is he still alive?
2: Are they related?
1: <laughs> they're not. And I found that out last night. Hmm. <laughs> I, the Hurt I, bros. I, I, did you know, Alex, <laughs> that they're not like father and son or even older brother and younger brother? I did not know that, no. Which, you know, you would think that it's actually pretty obvious because John Hurt is British <laughs> and William Hurt is American. But uh, it wasn't oh, until good, I was reading up. Good point. Right that, I mean, they could have grown apart. But anyway, yeah, no relation. But still, one is a much more, I guess, has a much more stronger persona. And I think that one fits in this train from hell a lot better than the other. But why you guys Also
2: important to note is William Hurt's arm and leg could have fed a lot more people. <laughs> That's true. Just thinking logistically.
1: Tastier too, probably.
2: I mean, he is younger, <laughs> so...
0: <laughs> Juicier.
2: We do know that.
0: <laughs> so they are staging uh, a prison break. Again, we're dropped into this world, so you kind of have to pick up quick or you're going to get left behind. Uh, the idea is they are in the the back, the, the last cart, they're in the doldrums, and there's a system of gates that operate, and they have basically a window of four seconds to get through. The reason they open up when these guards come to feed them uh, each night. So they've devised like this massive battering ram type contraption. That's, I don't know where they got all these supplies, but they did. And so their object is to blast through the guards and basically get into a position where it's just going to jam all these doors open and so they can't close and they want to get to the holding cell is my understanding because they're going to free the gentleman who designed the security grid um i know they want to get to the front at this point in the movie here in the first you know 20 minutes is it specifically laid out what their plan is when they get to the front or just they want to get there
1: i'm going to say no all we know yeah. is that they want to get through the doors <laughs> because the they movie- want to
2: take the engine
1: yeah, they keep talking about wanting to take the engine. I guess, and but
2: what does that mean? We don't even know.
1: Yeah, you don't even know that the that the train is going around the planet until I don't know an hour and a half into the movie. I think so. Mm-hmm. At this point, you could just be thinking that you're watching uh, a regular train journey gone horribly wrong with the with the really evil foot soldiers here. How how lost were you, Alex, though, when because uh, I think this is around the time that Tilda Swinton shows up.
0: Uh, yes. Because what happens is this kind of trollish looking woman comes in and takes, uh, two of the children. She just kind of comes and measures them. And this is where I was just like, Oh Jesus, this isn't going to go well. And then she takes them out of line. Um, and one of them is Octavia Spencer's kid. And the other one is this, uh, I don't know, Irish Scottish, maybe the guy who, Freaks out because his kid's being taken, and honestly, all I could think of here was Austin Powers, uh, and he throws his shoe at this woman, and I just, I wrote down in my notes, who throws a shoe, honestly, <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're recounting the plot here, but we're gonna get into it, The basically, it's as good of a time as any to bring up this shot specifically, He throws the shoe at this broad, and then it hits her in the head, and she starts bleeding. It's like, you know, your classic just kind of one trail down from the forehead. And then she, like, wipes it off with her hand and licks it. (laughs) For the entire duration of the movie, I was waiting for that to pay off. Like, you know, it was like some some level of- to get
1: COVID? No.
0: It was some, like- Type of subs- like uh, sustenance, or even something like you know Gary Oldman in the Fifth Element, how he like bleeds motor oil, and just I was trying to figure out what mm. the purpose of that was, and I guess it was just a character quirk uh, because no other character does that in the whole movie, and there's a lot of blood.
1: Yeah, that mm. that actress just improvised that on the day. <laughs> she got away with it. She saw all the weird shit going on, and was like, and what if I lick my blood after? <laughs> Why not? We're throwing shoes at people right now, so it might as well. Mm. Um that guy, by the way, Alex, it's uh that's Spud from Train Spotting. I don't remember if you've seen Train Spotting. Many but, moons uh, ago. Yeah. He's uh the, he's one of the of the junkies that's friends with uh with Ewan McGregor in the movie. And he's just I've seen him in other things before, and uh he's always just this long suffering character, always horrible things are happening to him. So of course they were gonna take his kid here, and of course he was because you know Octavia Spencer, I guess she didn't throw her shoe at anybody, so that's why she's she only walks away from this with a black eye. But uh, Spot from Train Spotting, he he gets it bad. They they take his arm off.
0: Oh yeah, this is what Enter Tilda Swinton as mm. Mason. They address her as Sir. There's a lot of stuff like that in this movie that I quickly realized you just you're best off not trying to make any sense of it. But you're
1: like this was not written by a native English speaker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, my note just. Oh great, here's Tilda Swinton. Jocelyn, I have heavy beef with Tilda Swinton basically because I watched We Need to Talk About Kevin, and everyone in that movie, with the exception of John C. Riley, has had like this insurmountable hurdle to jump over with me. So, oh, I know. Yeah. Tilda Swinton's still working her way back up. I recognize she's a great actress, but she showed up here just basically looking like Liam Gallagher in 20 years. Uh, she <laughs> has the big fake dentures, uh, the haircut, the big glasses. Um, mm. She is second in command to Wilford and uh, is basically there just to keep people in order and to remind them, you know, who's the boss. It's not Tony Danza. It's Tilda Swinton. And. Goes on this spiel and makes the analogy about the shoe. The shoe is important, but it is not the brain. And all the while, the guy who threw the shoe, man, this is some crazy shit. My notes, like, I just stopped and I was like, what is going on? And mm-hmm. they stick his arm out the train through, like, this little glory hole they cut in it and it freezes. And then they pull it out and then they smash it with a fucking sledgehammer. It's wild. There's Jason X where he freezes a woman's head and then shatters it. But that shockingly wasn't as nearly as brutal as this when y'all saw this both for the first time were you expecting it to be as violent as it is
2: no i had no idea i just i vaguely was aware of snowpiercer i had no idea who was in it i didn't recognize tilda swinton on the kind of the thumbnail i didn't know chris evans was in it i was uninterested in chris evans he was (laughs) captain america big deal i don't really (laughs) care um so In the middle of the pandemic, we started having movie nights and we would trade off. Every Friday night was movie night and we would pick a movie and we wouldn't tell the other. uh, My husband and I wouldn't tell the other person like which it was. And I was like, here's a weird movie we're going to watch. Like, who knows about this? (laughs) I didn't even know Bong Joon-ho had written and directed it or anything. So this is actually the film that like sent us down a Bong Joon-ho rabbit hole, which is a very pleasant rabbit hole to go down. Anyway, (laughs) I had no idea it was as ruthless and bloody and just its relentless. Mm. It's very violent.
1: I just love the idea of you two just awkwardly sitting on the couch, watching (laughs) these horrible things happen. Like, Hey, date (laughs) night. (laughs) With the popcorn. I think that, uh, uh, But something that happens on the rewatch, though, is that once the shock value wears off, we're like, this is not practical. So many things that happen in this movie are just not practical. Mm -hmm. It just feels like Bong Joon-ho had this image in his head. And he's like, well, we're going to get there. We're going to put that on the screen. And I don't care about the logistics of getting there. So, yes, on paper, the idea of a guy with a frozen arm and a different guy with a giant sledgehammer breaking it. I'm like, that's awesome. But connecting the dots to get there... That doesn't really seem to be Bong Joon-ho's forte. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, there has to be an easier way of taking a guy's arm off than cutting a hole on the window of your train and sticking his arm out for, like, 12 minutes or something.
2: I guess, what was the original intent of the hole? (laughs) Like, when you designed this train where you like, and we'll have a hole where we can stick arms out to punish people for insurgency. Like... That was some forethought that I don't see reflected in the rest of the train, which I'll get into later. But
1: <laughs> I think that they, they were just uh, they were just improvising, I guess, as a you know they've been in that train for what thirty years now, no seventeen years, however long, and uh, and at some point maybe what was originally a glory hole became a, a torture hole <laughs> at some point.
2: It's a very large glory hole, Julio. Well, <laughs> it's a,
1: it's the back uh, of the train.
2: Someone is exaggerating a little bit.
1: <laughs> it's the back of the train, so it's like a communal one. You just like
2: oh, it's, I see. Yeah, okay, it's a, it's a wow. group glory hole. Ooh, the future is bright. Okay,
1: <laughs> listen, I hadn't even made that connection. Alex is the one that brought up those those
0: <laughs> those words. Uh, well, I didn't say communal glory hole. That's that's all I knew. <laughs> I probably won't be using that phrase, but you know, despite my feelings on this movie, I definitely will be stealing Mason's "be a shoe" when she tells the whole back of the train. That I guess that's her operation life. So that's mm. God. I wish I had that line when I played video games online, just yelling at people to be a shoe. <laughs> uh, be a shoe, the- and
1: uh, and so it is. <laughs>
2: so it
0: is. Uh, we find out bullets are extinct, which. We see Chris Evans kind of looking, and it's kind of the fucking ocean-style setup for the jailbreak. The slow-motion shots of them, like, casing the joint. And he just sees the clips, and these guns are empty, which I'm kind of surprised it took them 17 years to figure out they would eventually run out (laughs) of ammunition. But, you know, it is what it is. So the, the time comes. They breach the gates. They get through to where they need to go, and the chaos starts right away. There's... It's It really reminded me of like a final fight or a side-scrolling beat-em-up because they get through the first few decks of just, you know, guards one, two, and three. It's like a Streets of Rage type thing. And then they get to the end of the row and there's like the bigger guard that's swinging. I don't know if it's like a kettlebell or what the fuck he's swinging. But then mm-hmm. the... Is he supposed to be Gilliam's son, the guy who doesn't speak at all but kills maliciously?
1: Oh, tattoo guy. Yeah, the, the ninja that they have among the ranks. I
2: don't know.
1: Um, they have they have a, a parkour MMA fighter of sorts in this team, and they wait until I don't know thirty minutes into the movie to unleash him on the bad guys. Like before that, he's just wasted pushing around uh, John Hurt's wheelchair. Why wasn't he the front line? <laughs> right, like I mean, Chris Evans is Captain America, but he doesn't have his shield in this movie. The other guy is just bouncing off the walls and just being really creative with the way that he kills people.
0: Uh, why isn't the movie about that guy? Because he yeah. was in Captain America. Oh. Oh. Enter <laughs> Kang Ho Song. Is that how I say King it? Kang Ho Song. The dad from Parasite. Yes. Uh, enter Kang Ho Song, the gentleman uh, Minso, who was the designer of the security grid on the Snowpiercer. He's like in a cadaver shoot. Uh, they pull him out. We find out now that he's an addict of Cronal, and this appears to be the, uh, I guess, the drug of choice on the Snowpiercer. It's industrial waste that it looks like people just, like, not even snort it, just kind of breathe it in and hold it up to their nose. Uh, But I guess this is the equivalent of detox. It doesn't really explain, like, if he tried to stage his own mutiny or some shit. He is just locked up there, and then his... Um, not even cellmate, just next to him. He opens up the cadaver shoot and I guess it's his daughter. Do they specifically call out that it's his daughter?
1: Yeah, because she calls him dad a couple of times.
0: Okay, Yes. Okay. And, of course, she's the youngest, so she has to be able to, like, predict the future and see through time. <laughs> because it wouldn't be a science fiction movie without that character. But,
1: but only, only when the plot requires her to not when the characters could actually use it it's just like a couple times when it really doesn't amount to anything and then when chris evans and his team could actually use some good like telepathy or uh whenever she could turn clairvoyance uh, clairvoyance, there you go whenever they could actually use that like she could have said hey just so you know don't trust john hurt he gives me he gives me bad vibes (laughs) nope it's just useless stuff so so what is the point of of introducing this element i i don't like it alex I wanted an X-Men movie I would watch an X-Men movie
0: they enlist him to help them lead their revolt towards the front of the train he says he'll only do it you know for the the chronal, uh, but also that she's going to come along with and I guess that's the whole thing because she was probably born an addict that she is addicted to it as well so it's on they're just going to keep hot wiring all these gates they have to go through uh, all the while just feeding into their drug addiction This is the first time, as the the trek kind of begins, that we get a shot of Dead Earth. And it looks like... um, Ohio? Well, yeah. It just looks kind of like any random city is just frozen over. And, you know, was it Roland Emmerich that directed The Day After Tomorrow? Because he already did this. And it looked a lot (laughs) better in that movie. Uh, I think he had a little more to work with than a $40 million budget. But uh, we've seen it. We've been there. Jay Gillenhold, Dennis Quaid.
1: Uh, the actress from Phantom of the Opera. Really, why, why even go there again?
0: He did indeed have a bigger budget. He was gifted 125 million by 20th Century Fox, whereas Mr. Ho had to beg for his meager 40 million that he was given. But the the world's frozen. If you're gonna show me some, you know, post apocalyptic type shit where we all fuck the Earth up, show me something new, man. Show me just like a smoldering crater or. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what someone could show me at this point, but show me something new. It just seemed kind of silly. Everything's frozen. We get it. It was like Texas a few months ago. <laughs>
3: there you go.
1: Mm. Show me like the the desperate people frozen in motion.
0: Well, even then, it, it's not relatable because there's not like a frozen Burger King. It's just all generic <laughs> places. Like, show me, uh, you know, a Tower Records or something that was frozen and abandoned. Or <laughs> Show savory. me the last blockbuster. Just like. Yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs>
2: Burger King, you'll miss it the most, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we
1: all go for, for what hurts the most.
2: Yeah, uh, well, we loved I mean, you most of all.
0: I would say burger, but that's not universal. There's not mm. people that will get that one everywhere but the South. <laughs> all this talk of food is clearly spawned on by the next scene here where they find out what their protein bars are really made of. And is it cockroaches? It just looks like there's some kind of creatures that's just being ground up and... Uh, Julio we, we covered a movie previously that um that had a scene very similar to this and of course it was none other than Reindeer Games where there's <laughs> creatures uh, monsters in the gelatin as Isaac Hayes' character says in that and that's basically what we have here this is like Soylent Green is people because it's just it's so not subtle. Here's this giant vat of critters, and then it just shows them being pounded into bars, and then you cut to, like, people stuffing their face with them. It's ridiculous.
3: Mm. Except
1: that it's not people, and that's the big letdown. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I was watching it, I thought that was a big reveal. I was like, oh, they're about to find out that they've been eaten their own, right? It makes sense. It's like, we've seen a lot of people. We've seen people getting taken away. They're turning them into food. The big reveal oh. right now is going to be the, the, the black gelatin bars are people so then they open it and it's bugs uh, you know they open the big kettle or whatever and uh i mean yeah that's gross but it's not people so it's not like imagine and of course joon ho is just not he's not bold enough as a filmmaker to do this but you know imagine they open the they open the lid and and that's where they see like Octavia Spencer's kid or like uh the guy from from uh spotting's kid Oh, like,
0: Jesus dude
1: that is you My know God. like a wallop that that you won't recover from that that's when you're like all right I I I yield it's no piercer wins but no instead it's just bugs and so okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Don't go with the kids. That's just too much. But the, the guy that they take earlier with the, the guy that plays the violin, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, we only need one. And, and they take him. And then, you know, they open that lid and there, there he is. Like his head is just spinning as he's getting turned into black gelatin. Like that, that is brutal. Bugs. It's just bugs. There are people right now in the world that eat bugs. Yeah. just unprompted. That's true. They're not trapped in a train. So it was like, okay, it's gross, but it's not like the, the horror there's so many more horrific things going on in this train. the the way that they overreact to finding out they've been eating cockroaches. I mean, it's like apparently they didn't taste too bad because Octavia Spencer was just chomping down that entire scene
0: <laughs> for real. He didn't even like stop her. He just like told the illustrator like <laughs> you can't let people know what you've seen. Then he looks down and he's mm-hmm. just like gives the thumbs up to Octavia Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so now it's time for some action to pick up. We've had the gross out with the bugs. Time to get to some uh, carnal rage here, and uh, Minsu and uh, goes to basically hop the next gate, and his clairvoyant daughter Yona. This is where she realizes, but it's too late. Uh, just yells, "Lock the gate!" And this thing opens, and there's this army, and then all of a sudden, fucking Zack Snyder's directing it because we just go into like a six-minute slow-mo <laughs> sequence. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and unfortunately, uh, Bong Joon Ho is no Zack Snyder, so this is just somebody imitating someone that's better than them. I don't know. I mean, they, my main thought is because he gives me so much time to think about it, because it just you know slow motion after slow motion. Uh, my main thought was, was why did it take the bad guys so long to regroup and send the army? You know, like the riot police is there and they're like they're, they have weapons and they have like special glasses. They're they're armed and ready to go and. uh why didn't this happen like as soon as they breached the first barrier you know why did they t- take so long um and then you number two so after
0: like, 17 years they would have had like a plan in case something went awry
1: right and they'll be just itching for action
0: right if you're it's like it's
1: not even
2: the first time this has happened yes this is like true. what like the third or fourth time <laughs> so like i don't know guys get it together
0: their response each time was, "Well, it won't happen again." Or no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Each time it happened, uh, Wilford and Mason just offered thoughts and prayers, and said, "You know, right." <laughs>
3: right.
1: <laughs> they fired the one guy in charge of one of the units. They're like, "All right, now now we're good to go."
0: So it's a an army of men with axes and, and just machetes and whatnot, and. The, <laughs> you know we talked about the lack of subtlety thus far and one of them even just like takes a fish shows it to Chris Evans and the whole horde of miscreants and then guts it i guess to symbolically show what i'm going to do to you and i'd say symbolically like i don't understand what that is again if he if this happened like really quick or just like one of the big dudes in the back just held up a fish and gutted it that'd be kind of cool but again this whole slow motion sh- sequence and it just felt like it took forever to get where we were going, and when they finally just started going to battle with each other, it was just like, all right, here we go. And then it just turns into pretty much old boy. goes in that side-scrolling <laughs> with Chris Evans just wreaking havoc, and we even get a fucking pratfall. <laughs> yes. Mm. I, guess, I guess the idea here uh, that Bong Joon-ho misunderstood the expression of you don't introduce a gun without paying it off. He thought it was a fish, so he introduced the fish here, and then, like, two minutes later, Chris Evans slips on it. What is going on?
3: It's just so dumb.
0: <laughs> it's
1: just
2: so is dumb. it a comedy, maybe? And we just don't get it?
1: Could that be... Have
2: we misread this entire film?
1: It's it's lost in translation. That
2: We're just taking it too seriously. The
1: dark right. humor. He hadn't perfected yet the dark humor that finally got him an Oscar with Parasite. And mm. This was, again, this was trial run for the award season. It's like, well, Amer- what do Americans like? They like people falling, pretty people slipping. Yeah. <laughs> they so like Captain goes. America,
0: and they love people slipping.
1: <laughs> In slow motion. So this is as if it wasn't enough that the movie is dripping with slow motion at this point. This really long fight then takes a break. <laughs> it, the fight is so long that they take a timeout <laughs> to catch their breath.
0: Do either of y'all have anything in your life as important as this that you would stop like a battle to the death to mm. celebrate? This completely took me out of it because they realize that it's the <laughs> new year and they all count down together and say happy new year. And then <laughs> Billy Elliot is like, I hate getting older. And it's <laughs> like <laughs> this moment of reprieve. And then, of course, they just go back to killing each other. It's uh, I, I don't know if there's anything that I could just drop. If someone had a knife to my throat, I don't know, I can drop it and just say, ha-ha, for anything.
1: Oh, dude. Uh, mm. th- I mean, I going to lie, the, the 2016 presidential election results, whatever was going on when they announced, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Hold your fire. <laughs> and then, okay, resume with a big <laughs> smile on our faces.
0: Uh, oh, just to be clear, you meant 2020, you said 2016.
1: Oh yeah, no, twenty sixteen. Well, it was the same thing. Only we resumed with a big frown on our faces.
0: <laughs> oh my god! We we resumed with the, yeah, the, just the the absolute uh, fucking the expression of Gilliam, just kind of like what is this what have I become? This upside
2: down world is so hard to navigate.
1: Yeah, that was that was the equivalent of slipping on that fish, and we just <laughs> it took four years for us to get up.
0: Instead of fish, it was democracy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fucking wild battle. Uh we had mentioned earlier mm-hmm. the hyper violence in this. What it leads to, unfortunately, is Jocelyn, is there any backstory besides be, behind like the two big henchmen for Mason? They play like what seems to be like a paramount role in this, but I don't it doesn't seem like too much backstory is given to them, nor are they played by anyone of note.
2: No, I don't think so. I think and really only one of them is significant well i guess there's the weird old bald guy later on but the guy who kills not william hurt um <laughs> right you know he becomes like he makes eye contact with chris evans through the television monitor so you know it's on it's a little tete-a-tete since this is french in nature yeah but i don't i don't know the significance of that except wasting a lot of bullets through glass
0: and yeah, the one guy with the good hair gets impaled in this scene too.
1: Oh, because that's the guy that kills Billy Elliot. Mm-hmm.
0: The survivors of this battle do take the bridge though, and uh, Mason Tilda Swinton's taken hostage by Curtis, and basically just sits her down, and they borderline are like torturing her because she's a hostage now, and they cut a deal with her that she she's going to take him to Wilfred, and again. The specifics aren't too well laid out, but the idea is, you know, we're going to take you captive and then you're going to take us to the front of the train and then we'll we'll take it from there.
1: I mean, that that is that is as far as their plan goes, because I don't think they even know for mm-hmm. sure what's going to happen once they get there. <laughs> not even John Hurt seems to know, or at least he hasn't told them. So this is around the time that I, I felt that the movie just – not that it wasn't heavy-handed before, but, I mean, I think about an hour in, you just start really getting tired of the, the – uh, or maybe enough of the message seeps in that it starts – Getting in the way of the enjoyment of the movie, uh, which is just this really, uh, I said, heavy-handed condemnation of the one percent. You know, it's like, oh, you know, these are the oppressed people, the the people that apparently snuck into the train without a ticket. You know, and now they're just demanding to be served like the people that paid good money to have good seats at the front of the train, especially once moving forward, we're sort of looking into, uh, we're sort of going through the nicer part of the train. And Chris Evans and his gag of criminals start just demanding to be treated equally, you know, and they want sushi and they want to party and all that stuff. It just, to me, and again, not to get too political again, but it, I, at this point I wrote my notes says, this movie is the guys who stormed the Capitol. Like, the, you know, in their minds, they're the heroes and they're doing this, like, awesome thing. But surely there was, like, a, a more peaceful way to you know kind of like move forward in, in into the the society of of snowpiercer uh, but instead they come in and you know cuz once they get into the, the the fancy part of 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 the train if they had cell phones they'd be taking selfies it's just it, it didn't it didn't do anything to endear them to me i don't know how how did you guys feel
2: I mean, they knew they were going to a nice part of the train and they didn't even bother to dress up or clean themselves or, you know, it's just a general lack of respect, if anything else. And diplomacy, right? Like, it's always one-way communication. They're getting these little capsules of notes. Maybe send a note back, you know? A thank you would be nice.
1: A
0: nice
2: stationery. Please, please take us to the front of the train, you know? Could I have forgot worked. about those
0: notes. Yeah, Chris Evans keeps getting these yeah. like little capsuled notes, like they're just coming to him. It's like the world is made for him, and we're all watching him on TV.
1: Little emojis, cheering him up, encouraging him to keep moving. Uh, mm-hmm. You're right. I Thumbs would have up. liked to see the 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 people from the back of the train kind of try a little more forward without being violent about trying to mend whatever rift has happened with the with the people at the front. Maybe next time. Don't wait until they come and take your kids away. Just send the kids to the right, front, yeah,
2: like a, a, a gesture good of face goodwill. Gesture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
1: gotta meet meet in the middle.
0: We get some insight to like some previous happenings, and we we again they're speaking in very vague. What's the word I'm looking for here? Cryptic uh, tones, and we see a big scar on Chris Evans's arm that that'll come back into play, but. He's just talking about, you know, uh, Gilliam tells him he needs to be the leader of the bunch and uh, tells him, you know, once you get up there, you need to just kill Wilfred, cut out his tongue is, I think, one of the things he tells him to do. Uh, So they begin their march towards the front. And like you guys were saying, uh, they don't dress up at all. And then everyone just kind of looks at them like, what are they doing here? Uh, And Tilda Swinton is clearly, her hands are bound. uh, (laughs) And so... They're just no one wants to do anything. I guess it's the whole thing of, you know, white people don't want to cause a stir type thing. And they just kind of see it. And they're like, that's none of the. They're all libertarians because they see it. and They say, that's none of my business. It's not my problem. And so they they keep marching up. We get through a a greenhouse, an aquarium. Uh, They eat some sushi. It's obviously the accommodations are much higher at the front of the train than the back. And eventually, they find their way to uh, elementary school on board, <laughs> but it's clearly a very selective one because it looks like there's maybe a dozen students in there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the the big. I don't even know if it's an Oscar clip, Alex, but whatever. Allison Pill is doing here; she plays a teacher. Mm-hmm. It's just if it, if it was an Oscar clip, it would be a category of its own, the Cringe Award. Uh <laughs> cringe's performance in the motion picture. That's rough, man. I like Allison Pill in regular life. Like she's she's great in right. Scott Pilgrim, great mm-hmm. in the newsroom. Uh she's she's not great here. I I mean if you guys feel differently, feel free to tell me. But I just it was nails on a chalkboard.
0: She is an insane elementary school teacher who's brainwashed and just you know, Scientology brainwashing type scenarios where they have all these things to recount. And it's a, it's a lot like, you know, another Simpsons reference, the leader episode, the leader is good. The leader is great. We surrender our will as of this date. And they just, everything they think Wilfred created for us, the audience Though we get a little bit of exposition during this scene of Wilfred was the man who created this train system, uh, basically bringing together all other transcontinental railroads and like a self-sustaining train that could circle the, country or the world, excuse me, in one year and everyone thought he was stupid for thinking that. And then they all got what they deserved because they froze to death when the mm. CW seven came. And but yeah, Allison Pill's pregnant. I guess is it Wilfred's kid? Is that what we're led to believe? He's just spreading his train oh, seed all over the place.
2: I, interesting I didn't, theory. My
1: mind didn't go there, Alex. But now that you brought it there, can't look away.
2: Ooh. <laughs> Scandal.
1: I mean Wilford. When we finally meet him, he is—he's a pretty attractive man. He's, he's certainly charismatic enough. Oh, oh I, I guess—I guess not for Jocelyn based on her reaction. <laughs> are you—are you not a member of the uh, Ed Harris fan club?
2: I mean, oh God! Uh, I guess if we were the last two humans alive on a very <laughs> large, long train, and everyone else had frozen to death, I don't know. You know, I don't really know what I would do.
1: I mean, you've watched the movie. Do you have better options?
2: Sure, sure. Ed <laughs> Harris, fine, fine. Under the right circumstances, I'll consider it.
1: The world freezes over, and it's just the two of you in a train that's going around the planet.
2: I mean, that's where the negotiations
1: start. <laughs> yes. And he has steak. He has a nice steak dinner. <laughs> We're getting warmer.
0: Allison Pill, who I believe is just credited as teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. then gives us the story of the Revolt of the Seven, which were seven people that band together, as we kind of mentioned earlier in one of these famed revolts, and uh, de-boarded the train, and they made it what looked to be I don't know, uh, maybe 500 yards away from the tr- the railroad tracks, and just froze mm-hmm. in place there. And they still are frozen in time. Um, Min Su explains to his daughter during this, you know, he knew one of them who was a woman in Eskimo, uh, and taught him about all the different types of snow and ice so keep that in mind it might come uh, come back to pay <laughs> off later in the movie
1: I mean it, do, it didn't do her any good in that revolt why would you do that why would you like you know that the, the world froze you know you can see through the window that it's still frozen and you just go out anyway I, I mean were they really surprised when like a hundred yards from the train they froze this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs>
0: Violence is my next note, as (laughs) I guess on New Year's, you get eggs. Some people celebrate with black-eyed peas or champagne. The snowpiercer celebrates with eggs. This bald, Moby-looking motherfucker brings out these eggs, and (laughs) I guess they're fresh from the harvest and begins feeding them, uh, handing them out, I should say, to the kids, the people from the foot, uh, the shoe, excuse me, uh, towards the front moves past them gets towards the rear more and more and this is we get this it's very um out of place uh, exchange. It's really more for like an Arnold Schwarzenegger Sylvester Stallone movie where one of the characters says eggs I thought these were extinct and the guy's <laughs> like, well people think a lot of things are extinct like <laughs> this and pulls out a gun. <laughs> um, back in the classroom, Allison pill just opens up the first person she shoots is a uh, homeboy from train spotting right shoots him yep. right between the eyes.
1: Of course, he was going to be the first one to die. Actually, no. He, he outlived uh, JB Bell. So he's moving up in the world, I guess, by the time mm-hmm. Snow Pierce came out.
0: So Allison Pills opening fire. She ends up getting it from uh, our silent parkour killer who just fucking hurls <laughs> this knife right into her throat. Uh, it's crazy. This whole sequence was the polar opposite of the, the bridge battle because, you know, it took forever to get going with that. And then this just comes out of nowhere. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the rear of the train are just getting killed maliciously during this. Uh, this is part of their population control. They have to keep it at, what, 74% in order for it to be functional. There's some exact number they give and reasoning for it.
1: So, But the big reveal here is that there are bullets. So the bullets were not extinct. Mm-hmm. They were only extinct as long as the movie, the plot required them to be extinct, <laughs> and then they just brought them. I mean, how does that make any sense? It's like if you still have bullets and you have guards going into the most dangerous part of the train, why wouldn't you? Don't have to give them, you know, ten magazines each, but give them at least like a couple bullets each, so that if somebody something to make pulls- a statement. Right, if somebody pulls the shit that mm. Chris Evans pulled here, you know, because his big moment when he starts rebelling is he grabs a guard's gun, puts it to his forehead, and then pulls the trigger. If mm. that gun had been loaded with only like one bullet, that's it; <laughs> they wouldn't have to worry about that. But instead, they completely mm. they sent them with toy guns uh, when they have the means. You know, is it really that they don't trust their their soldiers to get trigger happy and start shooting if they actually had bullets? I mean, I don't know. It's just, again, the the movie sacrificing logic, common sense for for this cool reveal of like, oh, they had bullets all along.
2: I'm less disturbed by the appearance of bullets out of thin air than I am about the appearance of many, many, many eggs (laughs) out of nowhere. We went through every train car. I saw no chickens. I heard... No chickens. Where'd you get the eggs?
0: Yeah, and we go through the rest of the carts, too, and we don't see them anywhere along the way. Yeah. Something's up here.
1: Maybe there's God a special, rules. like, a <laughs> there's, like, a little thing on the side. Like, there's, like, a side wagon that is, no, actually, no, that can't be it because we see, at some point, we go outside the train, and we see the whole thing, and it's just yeah. one after the other. So, I don't know. Synthetic eggs, maybe, you know, they're just made of Made of bugs.
3: Mm. <laughs> they just look prettier. Oh God!
0: Whatever the case, Tilda Swinton meets her end here. Mason gets shot in the face by uh, Curtis. He's mm. he tried to follow her as long as he could, but you know she pulled it, picked up a gun, and you know their their buddy had died here, and enough was enough. So there's just a, a path of destruction left behind them.
1: Well, I think uh um uh, the guy, the bald guy, uh, he kills John Hurt, right? That, I think that's what sends. Chris Evans over the edge.
0: Pushes Curtis over the edge, correct. Because then, Mm -hmm. yeah, my next note is here is Henchman B begins hunting. uh, (laughs) As they move forward, (laughs) he eventually is able to find them in, like, a spa cart. And Mm -hmm. this is where he takes out uh, Octavia Spencer, man. She didn't even make it till the end. (laughs) And um, he kills someone else, too, in this sequence.
2: A ninja guy? Tattoo guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With like the the Upham death from Saving Private Ryan, yes. which is really sad.
1: Mm. Yeah, it, it was uh, very weird because again, like we've said, this guy is, I mean, no disrespect to the actor, but like he's he's a nobody, and again, he's surrounded by stars. <laughs> it's like he single handedly manages to put down Chris Evans, Octavia Spencer, the ninja guy, and even uh, uh the guy from the dad from Parasite. Like it's like it mm. takes four of them plus his daughter. So five of them to apparently kill this guy. And then even then later, he picks up again. So-
0: but they don't even check. So they finally, like, the triple team effort, they overtake Henchman B and stab him in the side and then kind of just choke him with a bar, does min And then they just kind of assume he's dead, which is always smart in a situation like this. They don't make <laughs> sure. So they keep moving forward. Uh, what's my next note here? How many fucking carts are on this train? <laughs> they just yeah. it's like endless it's the fucking clown pulling the ribbon out of his mouth it just keeps going and going and they eventually i would think like the club carts would be more in the middle i would expect the greenhouse <laughs> and aquarium to be closer to like where the elite are but i would expect there to be a club kind of where you know the rubber meets the road with the the lower tiers and you know some of the higher class folks mingle but yeah
2: why are we- there drug raves happening <laughs> within yards of the (laughs) one thing that keeps everyone alive
0: (laughs) well more concerningly (laughs) why are these drug raves happening because conceivably the army would have had to walk through the rave to get to the (laughs) middle of the train to battle the people from the shoe but you know Mm. we live in a country where no one took coronavirus seriously so (laughs) that, that makes sense those people That's just, <laughs> with their drinks, saw those armed guards walking by. Yeah, man, fuck this. I'm here to party. <laughs> they'll,
1: they'll take care of it. I'm here on spring break. Uh, yeah. But, that, I mean, at the same time, why is the movie demonizing these people who are just having a good time? I mean, I'm sorry. They paid they paid whatever the ticket price was to get up there and, uh, and enjoy the facilities. So, somehow, hmm. Chris Evans and his people, they look at them with, with just disgust like how dare they enjoy what they paid for I mean, I'm sorry mm. I'm sorry that you couldn't afford to be like in the, the fancy part of the train but th- that doesn't mean that these people are the bad guys yeah. again how about you just sit down grab a beer sit down with them and just talk That instead of walking past get and just... their
2: perspective you know yeah. like what's their experience
1: how many bugs have they eaten maybe they know where the eggs come from
2: is industrial waste even illegal on this train you know what I mean
1: I think that uh, Chris Evans, in particular, needed to just unwind. He could have relaxed. If he could have just relaxed so a little tense. bit, this movie would mm-hmm. have ended much differently.
0: So, Junkies gonna be Junkies. We have uh, Min Soo and his daughter just collecting all of the Cronal that they can as they wander through this club. There's some cart where it's just a bunch of people passed out. Uh, they take all they can and they get to the front. They are at the front of the train. Right, and there's the big steel door that has the big Wilford logo on it. And uh, this is about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. And we have 40 minutes left. And the my note says, okay, this is where the runtime comes from. Uh, as now it's time to slow things down and talk for a while. Oh. As Curtis and min Su sit down and just kind of have a little a chat about... Minsu explains, I don't want to get past that gate. I want to get past this gate. And he points to the right of him. And it's kind of like a reveal of like, what are you doing here? There's just a door to the outside world there. Uh, And this is when he uh, eventually explains that, you know, he's hooked on the chronal, but also has been, you know, uh, not rationing it, but stockpiling it because it is an explosive. So he's going to make a bomb and blow this door off and he's going to go. All the while, Curtis explains that, you know, He's got to see Wilfred. It's brought him to this because the horrible things you know he did to get on board and what he's seen and then also tells a story of like eating people. He said he hates himself because he knows baby tastes the best and <laughs> tells the story about um, Billy Elliot, about how he tried to steal the baby from his mom, and Gilliam kind of stopped it, and this is where the story of the arm came into play because Gilliam – and several others cut off their arms and said, if you need to eat, eat this. Don't eat that baby. And Chris Evans tried to cut his arm off, but he couldn't do it. So that's where the scar of that story comes from.
1: And then uh, all of this so that Jamie Bell can die halfway through the movie because Chris Evans couldn't even bother to save him.
0: It's like, after Chris Evans made hard eye contact with him and just kind of did the yeah, sorry.
3: Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> Too bad, kid. Yeah, the, the, my note here says like,
1: what happened to the sense of urgency? Because you're right, they were, we were in such a hurry. To, well, I guess slowly we've been slowing down, right? Like they didn't just run through the sushi section of the train. Like they stopped to have a meal, and then they they stopped to kind of like throw dirty looks at the at the people having the rave.
2: The sushi restaurant is so confusing to me. <laughs> like, I get it. It's right after the aquarium. Fine, but you serve sushi twice a year only, and there's no one in your restaurant. <laughs> So, like, there's something wrong with your sushi, or there's just something (laughs) wrong with the location. Because I swear to God, the sushi restaurants around here, like pre pandemic, they're selling sushi every day of the week, and you still have to have a reservation just to get in there. So, I'm not buying it. Very convenient that no one was in the one sushi restaurant on the entire, the one restaurant. (laughs) On the entire train.
1: That's right, because they don't even go through like any sort of food court where, you know, it's like you have a sushi restaurant, but it's not like they have like a Bush's chicken like in the next wagon yeah. or... Once again, garden. where are
2: the chickens? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but
1: they have... Okay, exactly. even if you want to stick with just the seafood theme, you know, there's there's more to seafood than just sushi, but but all that we get the spotlight on is, is sushi, right? Uh, but anyway, yeah, like I, I felt like they slowed down to the to a crawl, and then they just sat down in front of that door, and they had uh, a very one-sided exposition, where basically uh, Chris Evans got to tell his side of the story uninterrupted uh, to a guy that didn't even really understand English, and uh, and I'm like, okay, well, it would only be fair to. Uh, to let Wilford do the same, but we're not going to do that because that would just take too long. <laughs> Except uh don't you know had the different idea. It's like, oh no, this is just part one of, uh, of the explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh But also this is, I mean, here on this show, uh, uh Justin, would like to call out Oscar clips when they happen. And this is definitely uh, Chris Evans's Oscar clip. Uh, unfortunately, at least in my humble opinion, I love him as Captain America, but I think that this big, sequence kind of shows you the limits of chris evans's acting and uh at the same time to be fair i don't know anybody who could pull off that line about babies tasting best like uh, who, who who the uh, who de niro pacino who, who are the Meryl girls? streep meryl streep maybe Meryl streep, i would yeah. buy it from meryl maybe because she yeah, she could, could do the wrong but but then i don't know that i would buy uh meryl streep not killing Wilford like as soon as she gets through that door, so it 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 was a lose lose scenario no matter what. Um, but yeah, I don't know thoughts on on the on the on Chris Evans' Oscar clip. This is a big moment. After this, he just kind of tunes out for the rest of the movie.
0: What I mainly took note of in this was Min Soo gives him his last cigarette, the <laughs> last cigarette on Earth. And, you know, he gets to enjoy that. Paying off at the beginning where Minsu smokes his second-to-last cigarette and he blows the smoke in all the fa- like the faces of the group from the, the back of the train and they all have this just pained look on their face like, give me. You know, they were the real junkies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Julio, we're no stranger to dramatic Chris Evans here on The Contrarians. We We watched London. We've been to the top of the mountain. So to come here, it really just kind of was deflating with all the things we had gone through with him and all like the ruthless killings and what had brought us up to this point just for him to kind of backpedal on all of it. I mean, I understand <laughs> he's a human, but it, it, it just kind of fell flat for me.
1: Yeah. I am mean, like this guy is supposed to lead the, the survivors when it's all said and done. He can't even tell the story of how he ate babies without breaking down and crying. I mean, mm. that's just, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence.
2: I mean, I, Yeah, I would be lying if I didn't admit that I was disappointed to find out that he eats babies. Definitely a low point in our fake fantasy relationship that we're in, but worse than that, and Alex, I thought you would point this out earlier, but this guy gives him his last cigarette, the last cigarette in existence, he takes one drag on that thing and then just lets the rest of it burn to ash. Who does that? Someone who eats babies, that's who does that. <laughs> Guy's out of his mind.
1: He deserves everything that 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 is coming to him.
0: So Minsu explains he's going to make a bomb. Uh, the metal gate that separates the front of the train from everybody opens. That uh, woman from the beginning that robbed the children, or stole the children away from the back of the train, appears. She shoots Minsu. He just kind of falls down. And then she leads Chris Evans, Curtis, into the The conductor's port, the the front of the train, the head of the train, and um, it's basically the Truman Show, <laughs> because it's Ed Harris saying, "I know who you are, Curtis. I watched you take your first steps. It was a great episode," <laughs> and just kind of goes on and rambles about, you know, being God and controlling the train. And the Truman Show is a great movie, so I have no issue with it being just a carbon copy of it. Uh, but they could have gotten there a lot quicker.
1: But also, it's just such lazy casting. I mean, you have to know when to pull this kind of stuff. Like, just recently, we we did an episode about Grudge Match, and uh, we commented positively that the director of Grudge Match just brought Alan Arkin and told him, hey, what you were doing on Little Miss Sunshine, just do it again. And it worked. We loved it for it. But I don't have that same reaction to seeing Ed Harris playing Kristoff Be- uh, from Truman Show again here. Because I've seen it before. I've seen it in a better movie. And you're not really bringing anything new. And instead, you're making me think of just such a lost opportunity. Like, they build him up so much. You know, like, you talk, you hear about Wilford through the entire movie. And uh, I didn't know it was Ed Harris the first time I watched it. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. knew. Uh, mm and so in my mind, I'm like, who is going to be Wilford? Who are they casting for Wilford? And uh, it's just like the, the most obvious choice. It's like, you know, if you if you have the too much in my head, then just put Jim Carrey as Wilford. Man, can you imagine that climatic discussion? Jim Carrey <laughs> talking to Chris Evans, just, you know, gesticulating or even crazier, like Jim Carrey trying to be like really serious and not making faces. Uh, or you want to go like completely like meta, just have a Wilford Brimley Wilford, the guy from the Oats commercials. <laughs> I think he's passed away too. But you know, back then maybe he was still alive. That's that's still, you know, that's like, oh, that Wilford. It, it just doesn't work for me. It was, it was such a, the last big reveal from the movie completely fell flat for me.
0: I love Ed Harris. But yeah, it was, I, I agree. Yes.
2: <laughs> I mean, if you love Ed Harris, that's fortunate because then you'll love every character he plays because <laughs> they're all the same. I mean we, this is the same guy from Truman Show. Yes, it's the same guy from Westworld. It's the same it's the same guy. Consistency. <laughs> not a problem for him.
1: Ed Harris is not an actor. Ed Harris is Ed Harris. But this is where he uh he, he pulls out the steak.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's in his pajamas, he makes the steak. Uh he's in the engine. I guess that's where he lives. He operates the moon. And this explains all this bullshit we don't need to hear about, you know, the the reason we're here and, you know, the purpose of the front and the back. He finally fucking gets to the whole point of it. And that's him and Gilliam were working together the entire time. That's how he knows who Curtis is. And he's been keeping tabs on him. And, you know, Gilliam always told him about him. So he wants Curtis to take over. He wants him to be the new conductor, or the, the, you know, the, I guess the pilot, however fucking Ed Harris views himself in this movie. <laughs> And we find out that Ed Harris was the, Wilford was the one sending all these messages to Curtis. And again, it wasn't like they were these prophetic, you know, love letters. It was like earth, wind, fire, soul. It was (laughs) with our powers combined, we are Captain Planet. I mean,
1: talk about taking the longest, more twisted possible way to your destination. Why not just send Chris Evans a job offer? Instead, you <laughs> staged this fake revolution <laughs> in order, and I understand that part of his plan was like, well, we need to people need to die, and it's a lot more mm-hmm. effective, I guess, if they die thinking that they're you know struggling for something but but you could have made things a lot easier on yourself if you let Chris Evans in on it. and maybe it doesn't have to be Chris Evans get Jamie Bell to do it. get somebody that would be completely cool with this. It's like, why would you put what would you stage this really elaborate? production and pin it pin its success on a guy that could go either way when you finally tell him hey do you want to take over because I'm, I'm getting old it, that's crazy it, it just again it doesn't make sense yeah it gave you like a the opportunity to shoot a movie in a really cool way but nothing makes sense so i i reject this notion and i completely disconnect from the movie once this final reveal happens
0: the uh, Action is still afoot as Minsu is like having to keep off all the Ravers, I guess, that want their drugs back. But then we see that the henchman's uh awoken, reawoken. He's he's back again. He storms his way into the front and then it just it kinda I guess it turns into a fight. It cuts away and then it cuts back and then Minsu snaps his neck. So who knows what the fuck's going on? <laughs> but he's having his daughter all the while craft the, the bomb. Uh Everyone is scrambling at this point, and obviously their goal is to get all the chronal. They basically make a a fucking C4 bomb out of it and strap Mm -hmm. it to the door, and they're going to blow it up. But why? (laughs) He thinks they can survive the climate now. They can survive the conditions. uh, Minsu believes that Earth is inhabitable now because over the past 10 years, he has every year they pass a plane that crashed, and more and more of it becomes visible every year. All right, man. Take it to Fox News.
1: <laughs> he doesn't need a mask. He doesn't he need does a not. vaccine. <laughs> he just needs to step out there.
0: But we get our final you know, twist in the gut of finding out where what happened to Timmy and the other little boy. And that's they've been put to work as literal cogs in a machine for uh, Wilford's train. And this is kind of where Chris Evans, I uh, believe in his mind, vindicates himself as he literally loses his arm in saving this little boy. And they blow the hatch, and when like we get like a comedic line as they blow it up, where Ed Harris just goes nice, and then it just <laughs> blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and then, guys, you've I presume both have seen this more than once and know more about it than me. Did uh, Min Soo and Curtis die in the explosion? Is that what we're supposed to believe? Yes, they have to. There's no way that they
2: they're shielding the the daughter and the little boy. And that's how they survive.
1: They're like, we're not going to let you die a quick death with the explosion. Instead, we're right. going to let you slowly freeze to death once the train has derailed.
2: And be eaten by a polar bear. Yes. <laughs> Instead of another human being. There's <laughs> dignity in that. Yeah.
0: God bless. That that whole notion that the polar bear is like this. It is like a beautiful animal, but it's one of the most vicious killers that exists yeah. in, in wilderness. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so they go outside the train, and Earth isn't—it is breathable. They make it out, and they can walk around because this train crashes. There is (laughs) no more Snowpiercer, and that's (laughs) kind of the thing of like, what are these kids gonna do? I mean, where do they go from here? But all we know is they've made it, and they see the polar bear. And my last note in all caps is: nature is healing. (laughs) And that's.
3: Aww.
1: But was it worth it? That's the because. They basically killed humanity. Like we've led to believe, and I you know, based on everything that we've seen, like I, I think this is the case, every survivor was in that train. And mm-hmm. these two are the only survivors after they detonate the bomb. So everybody else is dead. And now you have yeah. two kids who have never even stepped foot in the real world before the apocalypse came. So they have no idea how everything works out there. And they're like in a, in a, just in the wilderness. I mean, it's, yeah, they're not freezing to death right now, but in a few hours, once it goes, <laughs> it gets darker, assuming that the, even if they manage to escape the, the polar bear, they're just going to freeze anyway. I mean, they're not going to turn mm-hmm. into a popsicle, but they're going to get pneumonia and they die. So what was the point? I mean, is this one of those things of like, well, but at least I proved that I was right. You know, I I brought down all of society, but mm-hmm. at least you see I was right. Uh it, it just felt so selfish, but the movie celebrates it. Like look at nature and and instead it's just like, Wow, look at look at what a group of fanatics did to the last surviving bastion of humanity. It's just depressing.
2: I, I got kinda caught up in the mechanics of how are they exiting this train that they've lived on their whole life that was hurtling at, like, some ungodly speed and the motion of the train the whole time and then got on solid ground and weren't, like, falling <laughs> over. Like, what does that do to, like, your inner ear, like, equilibrium? <laughs> they can't just, like, get off this ride and walk in a straight line. Like, I don't think it works that way. How are
1: they not just, like, but, either throwing up or curled in a fetal position, like, right after? Yeah. yes. Because yes. everything they knew One was One of gone. my biggest...
2: Yeah, one of my biggest beefs is, with this film is that there's a complete lack of representation for all of us who enjoy motion sickness <laughs> on anything that moves. Like, I'm talking people like me who steal the barf bags from planes so I can put them in, like, every purse I have because you just never know when you're going to get in somebody else's car and they drive weird and now you're throwing up in their back seat. but... Just no talk about that at all. You know there had to be like at least one person on that train throwing up their entire life just because
0: Octavia Spencer could have could have been
1: that. We just needed a couple times of her.
0: Could have
2: gotten some more depth there, yeah.
0: (laughs) And then the coolest thing is that they last shot of the polar bear, they just smash cut to black to start the credits, but the snow is still coming down. I don't know if either of y'all noticed that, but I think that is very cool, and that is a positive way that I can end this dissection of this action sci-fi thriller about segregation and class warfare. Yeah, with, with the comedic performance from Ed Harris. All right, crew, let's move it back to the shoe for some real talk.
3: Mr. Wilford knew that CW7 would freeze the world. So, what did the prophetic Mr. Wilford invent to protect the Chosen from that calamity? The yes, yeah. engine! Rumble, rumble, rattle, rattle, it will never die! <laughs> what happens if the engine stops? We, we all freeze and die. But will <laughs> it stop or will it stop? No! tell us why the engine is eternal yes the engine is forever yes rumble rumble rattle rattle who is the reason why we find you oh I love that one
2: such a tonic
3: oh it's time children come in. <laughs> don't
1: and we are back. But before we get into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we tell our patrons what is going to be up on our patron channel. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. This time around, in addition to you know the usual stuff, like the deleted clips that didn't make it into the episode, and uh, the special bonus episodes that are just for patrons, like our upcoming Little Women 2019 episode thank you chas we'll also have new content on contrarians after hours that's the special patron show where we tell you about other stuff that we've been watching playing reading experiencing alex what are you bringing to after hours this time
0: well, we decided we're going to do a bonus episode on natural selection, correct, for our patrons?
1: Yes, that's right. I okay. mean, I'm throwing the ball at you when I actually have it written here on my phone. It says natural selection slash Ozark.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll save the discussion. I talked about that last time, but we'll, we'll have a full flushed out discussion between you and I. What I'm bringing to the table is just... Good Mythical Morning and Storage Wars and just the joy of bingeable television uh, that is not challenging and very easy to consume and why that's important right now is kind of my whole thesis on that. Why that's healthy. I don't know if it's healthy, but it's what's needed right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well I'm sure health is debatable but there's like so many movies that I need to watch that I still don't but I'm just like nope I'll just watch this episode of storage wars instead because it's so much easier and non-challenging to consume it's like the marvel of television
1: how dare you even though I appreciate the Chris <laughs> Evans connection but no yeah. I, I would put the MCU a step above at least uh, storage wars storage wars give infinity wars uh on my <laughs> end I, like you said, I I, I watched Natural Selection. You finally got me to do it, Alex. And and, and I have thoughts. Those thoughts will be shared, contrasted against yours. Uh, And then I also finished season three of Ozark, which has been this sort of, what, year-long goal, at least, for the contrarians, where you're like, you need to watch Ozark. And then I finally, Mm. finally got to the end. We are all in the same spot. We're caught up, Alex. You and I. So we're going to talk a little bit about Ozark. Mainly, I want to uh, compare the cast of Ozark against the cast of Breaking Bad. I think that there's a lot of parallels. And uh, and maybe we'll be able to answer the question, who would win in a fight? Marty or Walt? Check out uh, our Patreon channel to find out. That's uh, patreon.com slash Prime. You can check out our four tiers there. Decide if you want to
0: contribute and how much... Yes, $1, $3, $5, $10. The more you give, the more you get. You can even tell us what to watch. and Demand that we give our thoughts to you on it. Candy ain't cheap these days. So skip the Butterfinger and give us a dollar. And we'll appreciate it. We love all of our contributing patrons. And as I, I've started to say, we're taking applications and we welcome new ones. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check it out. But fear not. We'll always provide you with these wonderful numerical episodes, free of charge, but uh, if you want to know what doesn't make these episodes, you know where to go.
1: So, patron pitch is out of the way. It's time to, uh, I don't know, I don't know what, what would you call the special wagon in the snow piercer where where things get real? The truth piercer? The real piercer? Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know. The Wilford? The Wilford? Wilford's Cabin? <laughs>
1: we made it to the engine. It's time to drop the facade and just explain mm. how we really feel. Share how we really feel about this movie, this Snowpiercer movie. Alex, take us into real talk.
0: All right. So Snowpiercer, which looks like it premiered on July 29th of 2013 in Times Square. It was released in South Korea on August 1st of 2013. Of course, directed by now-famed director Bong Joon-ho. Uh, written by him as well as Kelly Masterson, and as we mentioned in Contrarian's Corner, based on Les d by Jacques Loeb, Benjamin Legrand, and Jean-Marc Rocher. It looks like this was a graphic novel from the nineteen eighties.
1: It translates as uh "Ed Harris's Train," That's the English <laughs> translation.
0: Budget I mentioned of forty million dollars, uh, box office return of a little under ninety million, which is good all things considered. Seems like every few years we have a movie like this that's some crazy, wild out there type film that has like an A list cast, but very well received as we mentioned, ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, was an awards darling of sorts on, you know, kind of the. Uh, more art house type awards. I You, you didn't see Snowpiercer getting any um, Oscar or Golden Globe nominations, but definitely cleaned up in their respective markets. Starring Chris Evans. It is quite the interesting movie. I wanted to start with asking why this was chosen. I believe, <laughs> Jocelyn, this was your request. I it's
2: insisted.
0: A... <laughs> <laughs> so just up front and early, do you like this movie or do you dislike this movie?
2: I love this movie. (laughs) I had like some concept of it being an actual thing, but again, like I didn't know who was in it. I couldn't remember why it was or whether it was good or not. I had no idea. I didn't look anything up. I just picked it for a movie night. You know, I'm starved for content. It's like peak pandemic time. This would have been like mid 2020. And I was like, you know, we're watching this movie. And I I had hardly even a concept that it was all taking place on a train. I didn't know. It just looked weird enough for me at that time. And we watched it and I was like, holy shit, how have I never seen this movie? I think I went on in some group chat that I was in at the time, I think with like other people at work, and I was like, if any of you have seen Snowpiercer and you didn't tell me about this film, then shame on you. Like, who keeps this to themselves? I I really, really like this movie. Like, a lot. It scratched some weird itches I didn't know I had. For,
1: that says a lot sure. about you. If Snowpiercer it scratches I know. some itches.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, she's a little weird. Well, yeah.
1: it, but it wasn't even the Chris Evans factor, right? Because you- no.
2: Because I'm honest when I say, like, Chris Evans as Captain America or really anything else that he's done, Knives Out was the closest he's ever gotten to being interesting to me or even attractive. Like, you know, one of my friends is like diehard Chris Evans. Like, he's the hottest guy in the world. And I was just like, eh, he looks normal to me, like just an average guy. Uh, for some reason, like, there, I know there's something wrong with me because, like, you take Captain America no interest and you put him in a train and dirty him up and feed him babies and i'm like hello <laughs> hello mr evans <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you
1: you just like this him happened... to be morally compromised
2: i think so this happened to me uh also who's the guy who plays superman uh the, henry cavill. the newest henry cavill um not interested in him as superman i just thought ah, oh, he's just kind of a cookie cutter looking guy put him in a gray wig and give him yellow eyes. Oh my god. I'm suddenly very interested. So I don't know what's wrong with me, but
1: yeah. That's right. At least you have you, you sort of have a type, which is just the opposite of what society considers. <laughs> I guess <so. laughs> the, the standard Hollywood leading man. I'm not sure
2: where that came from, but yeah, no. This was very like I didn't know I wanted Mad Max on a train. And this was very much that I didn't know I needed in my life. Tilda Swinton wearing Steve Buscemi's teeth, but like I did <laughs> need that. Um, yeah, it's just a good. I love it. I love this movie so much.
0: Yeah, the teeth are pretty wild when she takes them Ugh. out. The one part and has like the <laughs> the massive overbite. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember hearing about this when it came out. Julio, you saw it around release time, correct? Yes, I
1: I also didn't have much of a an idea of what was a, what I was getting into. I don't think I'd even seen a trailer. I just know it was one of the things where, like, okay, well, we're going to the movies. What are we watching? What seems good? And uh, I mean, I'm not. I, I am a much bigger Chris Evans fans now than I was back then. In fact, I've, I I think that. The way that he, his character in this movie is so different from everything I'd seen him do before that it was almost too jarring. And the first time around, I had a really hard time buying him as this gritty, uh, mm. really deeply conflicted hero. Now I'm, I'm, well, I'm you old. hadn't seen I'm London yet. It. That's true. I hadn't seen London. So, you know, I was, I was too cookie cutter. You need to watch London someday. Uh,
2: I'm looking it up now. You
1: need to subject your husband to that movie uh, because it's not. It, even if Chris Evans doesn't do it for you, Jason Statham will. <laughs>
2: oh, is he in that one? <laughs> he,
1: yes, and, and his hair is magnificent in it. So it's but an but, experience. But yeah, I I went in blind and I was blown away just watching it. it. And it was a really good audience. I remember walking away from it just being very, uh, very taken by a movie from a director that I hadn't liked so far because I watched. I know I watched the host, which he also directed, which is kind of mm-hmm. a monster movie. And uh, I have a couple of friends that love that movie, and they're like, "You need to watch it." And I watched it, and I just it just didn't work. I think the guy, uh, he's in it too, like the the guy that uh, you know, the dad from Parasite that plays the criminal here. He's also in the in the host, I think. And uh, it just it, that movie, the tone was just not working for me it was just a little too silly a little too over the top the tone is pretty wild in this movie it's no piercer but somehow yeah. it works for me it just like it it just nails the, that kind of like lunacy without making me not take it seriously so uh mm. i yeah i'm a big fan too i uh, i've seen it like i said i've seen it since because yeah you're right jocelyn uh, you mentioned that it was on netflix for a while and i remember that was the next time i watched it it was on netflix yeah and i was like man it's even better than i remembered uh and then, you know, I watched it uh, last night and it was it was good. I I have I, I, it's like a little bit of a roller coaster. I've gone from like liking it, but not loving it to loving it. And then last night, maybe because, you know, as part of the contrarians exercise, I started poking holes on a lot of things that that were ended up kind of uh, sticking with me beyond the joke. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit, uh, you know, as we go along. But uh, how about you, Alex? You are you're the newbie here. First time, Snowpiercer virgin. Mm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's plenty to poke holes in as far as logic and stuff goes. But, yeah, it's kind of what I was hoping it would be just in terms of, like, chaos. I mean, I I know it's my trademark to complain about movies being too long. Uh, That last 40 minutes dragged. Like, (laughs) and I don't know if that was by design, perhaps, and if it was, cool. It didn't work for me Uh, just because it was just, like, just completely go, 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 go with all this kind of like wacky. I don't even want to say comedy, more of just like just really weird, you know, uh, traits individual to this, life system that we don't know like the whole stopping to celebrate new year's during that battle there was all this stuff that was just fucking wild and then the end it just turned into like dialogue heavy shit maybe (laughs) it's just because i am burned coming off of revisiting the matrix reloaded with that whole uh architect scene we're just Mm -hmm. like fucking this isn't what i'm watching this movie for and i kind of felt like that and i did see online the cast that ed harris was in it so the surprise of that was kind of taken from me so i found myself and this is no fault of the movie i found myself like wanting him earlier in the movie i was kind of bummed he just came into the fray at the end but that's ed harris rattlesnake venom a little bit little bit will get you um, <laughs> i thought it was a lot of fun and obviously interesting there's as i've heard about parasite there's a lot of you know socioeconomical things and themes and tones and angles you can take from it and obviously that it's not so subtle here it's clearly about segregation at some levels and uh interesting story that is but at the same time it was a fun action movie with surprisingly good visuals some of the cgi effects and like the wide shots of like the world were kind of lacking but then uh, understandably so it wasn't you know it wasn't given the treatment of a marvel movie or something like that um (laughs) not even a dc movie yeah Mm. No, but yeah, I found myself really enjoying it. The Allison Pill part might have been my favorite, just because I thought, "Were you being serious? You didn't like what she was going for?" I thought she was great. Oh, I no, loved I, I, it. No, I
1: was kidding. I I, I think okay. she's great. <laughs> I mean, I it makes me cringe, but I don't count that as negative. I think that that's that's how I'm supposed to react. It's not even funny, you know. But I wouldn't blame anybody for laughing. To me, I was just like horrified by how <laughs> just over the top it was. But in a good way, I think that that's like it's just what the movie needs at that point. It was like, how do you keep ratcheting this up? Oh well, now Mm -hmm. we're gonna have like the the just over the top classroom with the songs and the just the indoctrination. It was like, of course, that's what comes next. Um, Before we get any any deeper into it, Alex, I have three negative quotes from people Uh that liked it a lot less than the three of us Mm -hmm. did. Uh, So once again, going back into the Rotten Tomatoes fray. This time with uh, green splotches, we have Inku Kang from the rap, who says, "Snowpiercer warms the heart, but doesn't penetrate it." Now, is that a, a play on words on the, the piercing part of Snowpiercer?
2: I think he heard us talking about the group glory hole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I think I would call this movie heartwarming.
0: Yeah, but- that's that's a bit off.
1: Next, Tom Meek from Cambridge Day says it holds great promise yet never finds its track. Just proving that you can do train puns on both ends of the spectrum, mm. positive and negative. I I don't know that there's a track for this movie, it just kind of like jumps all over the place. Tony Macklin from TonyMacklin.net says Snow is throw mama and the kitchen sink off the train. <laughs> I don't I'll know. Allow if, it. Yeah. That is is a great Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito reference for all of you young ones. Uh, (laughs) And finally, Chuck Bowen from Slant Magazine says, The film preaches resolutely to the choir, and cinephiles in sync with the film's politics may still blanch at how snugly their interests are courted. So this dude sounds like he doesn't share my politics to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but also, somebody that I don't know. I, I it could just be my own bubble. But I wanted to close with that one because like i I think that the three of us agree that there are political elements to this movie, and it has things to say. But I never felt that that was overpowering no the the story to where it was just where it just felt didactic. And to me, it was always like a fun movie a fun action adventure sci-fi adventure first and then it also happens to have this layer of social political commentary but not to the point where it would just like i guess i read that quote i'm like who gets upset about the politics of this movie
2: also has he never seen a sci-fi dystopian future (laughs) movie book comic before in his whole life it's all about classism utilitarianism versus empathy and like shared decision making That's like every single
1: one. Yeah, every time he sees the little people standing for themselves, like God damn it, the politics of this (laughs) filmmaker! How dare he?
0: I'm I'm assuming he hated Frozen too. That's another one. Like (laughs) (laughs) clearly, there's some interesting think pieces from the plot of this to be like, hmm. But at no point in this movie did I feel like Julio said like it was overwhelming or anything like that. Yeah. was like the idea of saying water world was overly overly political <laughs> it's just like just this kind of fun movie about something yeah. that could maybe happen well i guess if you're a climate change denier this movie's going to lose you off the bat but that's it about could
2: it. it could in the same way that like if you don't support defunding the police you may not like escape from new york <laughs> it's really tough
1: robocop big big of yeah. spot yeah. Scandalous.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty. Uh, I hadn't even thought about the the climate change aspect of it because it's just so like it doesn't really delve into the science of it to where you could actually have an argument with somebody that doesn't believe in it. It's just it's mm-hmm. just just the setting. I would probably be. I would take someone a little more seriously if their argument was, "Hey, we've seen this story before." Why didn't you give us the story of Ed Harris? Give me the story of this guy that nobody believed in and and he created the train and then the movie's about him slowly having to create society from scratch and and then uh. how that corrupts him. I mean, that is at least, you know, I'll give you that. I was like, all right, well, that's a movie that I haven't seen before and it's, uh, you're making an argument, you know, for, for the bad guy in quotation marks uh, point of view, you know, sure. But, but that doesn't mean that Snowpiercer is a bad movie. It just means that it's a movie that did something that other movies have done before in a very original way I, I my main takeaway having seen it at least three times i might have seen it one more time before uh before but uh it's just how inventive it is constantly and, and i don't feel the 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 big drag in the 40 minutes like i know exactly what you mean alex i know it slows down a lot but to me it just felt like a moment to catch my breath and and just process everything because they dump a lot of information like heavy information in that Mm. final bit and uh i think i I was i was happy to have that moment to kind of regroup and just get ready for that final moment you know that 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 big uh not just chris evans's sacrifice but also i guess you know putting the pieces together which i don't know it could be a good thing or a bad thing, how much the movie lets you think about it, the logistics of what Ed Harris and John Hurt were doing. I mean, uh, are we are the three of us agreed that once you stop and think about it, it doesn't make much sense? <laughs> or or do you guys feel like the movie holds up as far as the the or the underlying plot of what was happening without Chris Evans knowing about it?
0: Yeah, I mean it felt at the end like overly predictable, but even with my gripes about how like it was it slowed down towards the end at no point did i feel betrayed or like the movie was taking a lazy route it was just like Mm -hmm. well i've been so entertained by everything that's happened so far you know it's kind of whatever i really i was watching this too much with contrarians lenses on and i just (laughs) like the whole final act in the fucking cabin i just kept seeing ed harris with the glasses on the tip of his nose and his cabbie hat at the end of uh Truman show talking to <laughs> Truman and I was I kept trying to like shake it I'm like no this is serious what they're talking about start <laughs> start taking it more seriously mm-hmm. and then the reveal of the kids I was just like oh god yeah to to answer your question though you can see it coming from a mile away but sometimes the path of least resistance is the best one to take
2: I totally didn't see it I was totally taken in like cuz the thing I got a little shook with it because I had decided in my head what the Chris Evans character was because all I knew of him was Captain America. And so I'm like, all right, this is our good guy. And he's going to he has to find his own like he has to believe in himself. Like that's going to be his big arc. Like Mm -hmm. he has to believe he's a leader. I didn't realize he was trying to overcome Hatred of himself due to cannibalism and uh, <laughs> murder and baby eating like that's a lot. Right. So once he dropped that, I was totally like shocked. I was like, what? <laughs> so then I, we went from that to the Ed Harris thing. And I'm like, some crazy's about to happen. And they're just like drawing it out, drawing it out. I, I, I had so much trust in the movie at that point to, like, surprise me that when I found out Gillum was in cahoots with Ed Harris, I was like, what? And then the kid comes out of the drawer, and I'm like, what's
3: going on?
2: (laughs) So, yeah, and I sincerely didn't know who was going to live and die because they'd killed off so many people already that I was like, yeah, Chris Evans may not make it out of this thing. But I thought for sure the engineer would make it out, but... No. Nope.
0: I did appreciate though that Ed Harris like when he explains that him and Gilliam were working together the whole time he does that. Oh, don't be surprised. Like kind of just that. <laughs>
1: yeah. We well, see and, and I wish I could remember how I felt the first time I watched it. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I know I didn't have an issue with it necessarily. You know, I was just like, I i was just taken with it. I, I think I had the same reaction mm-hmm. as you, Jocelyn, where I was like, oh, wow, I did not expect such a big revelation from Chris Evans. And then everything that happened afterwards was just kind of carrying me to the end. But, you know, on rewatch, like when you stop and you think about it, it, it you know, I walk away with that feeling of like, "Wow, well, how convoluted this is. But But on this final watch, I also walked away with the idea of, well, they've been living in this really weird scenario for 17 years. Ed Harris is not all there. Like, not all, you know, it's like, it's a crazy plan. But these are people yeah. that are not mentally sound anymore. It's like, in their minds, it makes sense. But because I don't live in that train, I have been been living in Snowpiercer for 17 years. I'm looking at it from an outsider's perspective. And I can go like, dude, this doesn't make sense. There has to be an easier, more practical way of achieving your goals. So I I justified it to myself that way. And I think it works like in the movie too. You know, it's just that uh, as I've rewatched the movie, Ed Harris comes across as like a lot less in control of the situation and just kind of like this guy that's, you know, running this ship that's falling apart and uh, talks like he's a mastermind, like he's got it all figured out. But really, he's just like, he's flying by the seat of his pants, basically. Uh, At least that's how I've read it now and it still works. Now, that I can justify, what I can't justify is the engineer blowing up the door and assuming that that's a viable alternative <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that that is like like a solid escape plan from the train.
3: Yeah. I mean,
1: we joked about it because there's corner, but it's true like
0: how do you survive that? How is that a win? Even if you He's been checking on the the plane every year, Julio, for like yeah. 15 years. He right. saw
2: the snowflake come through the window, and he was like, oh yeah, that's the good kind of snow.
1: Right, but you're talking about why would you, like there's nobody else left in the planet, right? Like what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different thing if you stop the train and let everybody out, and we're going to rebuild society together. Instead of blowing the train up from inside, killing everybody, and then you just Even if he had survived, what's he going to do out there? It's just him, his daughter, and the little kid, and a polar bear. Yeah. I wish the movie had framed it as this sort of a uh, uh, big fuck you to society on his own. Instead of like, oh, we're going to make it out? Instead of like... I'm gonna make the statement and I know it's going to kill all of us, but at least kinda like what I joked in the Trans Corner, at least we're gonna know that I was I was right. We're going to die looking at a polar bear, and I'm gonna be able to tell everybody, <laughs> I told you so. We should have stopped this train a long time ago. <laughs> it doesn't ruin the movie, it doesn't even come close to ruining the movie for me. But when it gets to the end, I'm like I keep thinking, I was like, what are they doing next? <laughs> it's like their feet yeah. are sinking in the snow. In- uh, I don't know does does the ending bother either of you as much as it seems to bother me?
2: <sighs> I just was so relieved. I don't know. It's a dark, dark movie, and so for it to have like a pretty dark ending is okay with me. I don't find the ending to be like happy or not. It just kind of is. I don't know what happens to the. It's like Gravity
0: is a a movie I could think of to compare this to in the sense of like,
3: Mm.
0: yeah, there's a lot of shit you could be like, that don't make sense. Or, you know, that wouldn't happen or, you know, what have you. And then even the ending of Gravity, it's just like, where is she? Where is she going? Is she Mm -hmm. okay? And that's kind (laughs) of like the ending here of just like, that's, there's sometimes movies like that where you're not intended to think about what happens to these characters a second after the credits roll. And I know it's hard not to, especially when you watch as many movies as we do, and what one of our hobbies is, is dissecting movies for multiple hours at a time. Uh, So it's hard not to think of that, but when you put it in that perspective, it's just kind of like, they did it! Yay! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yeah. And they escaped, and you know, they're father figures or fathers protected them so it's it's a weird movie and it makes me excited to finally watch Parasite because I I really do need to do that but there were so many like different I I would be surprised if there wasn't some at least intent of an homage to old boy during that fight scene where Chris Evans is like side scrolling beating the shit out of all those guys Um, I could just be making that up in my mind but that sequence was awesome and there were so many different touches of different genres i felt like as far as like a present presentation standpoint so are both of y'all fans of parasite i guess because that would be the big follow-up that he had to this he had a couple movies since then but does he do this movie justice with the follow-up with parasite
2: parasite's so different but it is very i feel like it's very polished Mm. it's like someone who is he's obviously grown um Not just that, but there's a movie he did, I think, back in, like, 2009 called Mother. And it's really, really good. And you can see, like, it's just really interesting. He's got some really good stuff. And then he does Okja, and you're like, what? (laughs) What was that? Okay. <laughs> but he gets but a pass. The,
1: yeah, but at the same time, I, I can see, like, I, I see Okja and I see Snowpiercer. I haven't seen Mother, but, you know, I saw the host and I've seen Parasite. And I can be, like, as different as they are. I can also recognize, like, the commonalities and go, like, oh, yeah, it is totally the same guy doing this. He is just yeah. insane in the best possible way. Like, he just goes mm-hmm. for it and he's always being very, like... It seems like he tries to tell the story in a way that's very out of the box. Yeah, I don't think he's trying to surprise you. I think he's just having so much fun telling the story. And yeah, uh, yeah I think that compared to Snowpiercer, uh, you know, Snowpiercer looks scrappier compared to to Parasite, which feels more mm-hmm. like a, a prestige drama comedy. But, but it's yes. exactly like the same sense of humor and the same kind of... I don't know that I would call it satire here and what they're doing with Snowpiercer and, you know, the, the high class versus low class. But there is that that theme running and where, you know, you're just hiding in those conflicts in mm-hmm. order to, you know, not just be funny about them, but also make your point. You know, and the, there's a lot of class warfare in, in Parasite as well. It's yeah. a great movie. I love it. I, a, I, I mean, I love Snowpiercer. I definitely love Parasite more. But, there, mm. you know, there's like sci-fi it's not technopunk. What do you call that steam genre? Punk? Steampunk. There you go. Yeah. This is so like <laughs> steampunky and and uh, Parasite is, you know, completely different.
0: Is this the only English-forward film he's done?
1: Uh well no, Okja was in Okay. Uh, at least yeah. partly in English. There there's But
2: then Parasite and Mother are both Korean language, I believe.
1: Uh Jocelyn, I'm intrigued. We're in real talk now. What's your beef with Ed Harris? What's
3: he's the
2: same in every movie. (laughs) He's the same guy. I I mean, I meant that like Truman Show, this movie, Westworld. He's the rich mogul who controls the environment. Like, (laughs) I it's he just gets typecast, I guess. But I've never seen him as like a happy-go-lucky, laid-back dude. Like I've never seen that. I'm sure it's out there.
0: He's in Pain and Game. He's no. the undercover cop who poses as like he wants to get in really good shape to take down Mark Wahlberg. That's like modern Ed Harris to me. But also, um, yeah, he, he was. I was gonna say uh, Gone Baby Gone, but he was also a cop in that movie too. So yeah, I'm, I'm playing into your your thesis here.
2: Yeah, once it's like you can't unsee it.
0: Yeah,
1: I can't know? think of a of a wacky Ed Harris comedy where he's just it's just him. <laughs> <The best. laughs> So him and Jeff Daniels just traveling around the world <laughs> delivering pizzas. I I like him. I I mean I don't feel as as strongly about it as I said in Katrina's Corner, but I did feel like you know when you get to the big reveal that he is that he's Wilford. I was like, ah, of course he's good. It's he's, he's Ed Harris. Mm. He knows how to do this. Mm. He's gonna deliver the dialogue and he's gonna nail it. Yeah. But I would be lying if I if I said that I didn't. I would have preferred like more, speaking of out-of-the-box, like more out-of-the-box casting because you have you have that build-up to that character and, you know, there's so many good actors. And you've already established that this, this cast, the cast in this movie, is just so diverse that you could have had anybody play Wilford and then you just went with kind of a safe choice, as much as I like mm-hmm. Ed Harris. So I kind of share your beef with Ed Harris in that sense, but I do like him in movies. It's just that, you know...
2: He was perfect for this role because the way that he just kind of casually was like, you know, it's this train. It's been hard on all of us, you know, like (laughs) it's loud in this engine room with all my food and clean clothes and things. It's lonely, you know, I've only got this one lady to do it with. Like, it's really sad. No group glory hole for this guy. So it was just how casually calloused he was, was pretty pitch perfect, actually.
0: Well, I, we hadn't we haven't talked about the the main course with Chris Evans. I, I was know about that, to say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jocelyn said sometimes a hard time kind of taking him seriously. Uh, we referenced that in the first portion. Unfortunately, I think that he kind of gets left behind. And Chris Evans is great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Long time listeners know I really like him as a comedic actor. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like the guy who plays Minsu. I I feel bad about potentially butchering all these people's names, but uh, the the engineer he's fucking phenomenal in this, and then you know mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer who's just kind of effortlessly good. Mm-hmm. John Hurt's pretty solid. Um, Tilda Swinton for whatever she's going for is so like sc- like commanding when she's on screen. It's even if it is like comedic or evil, she just really takes all your attention when she's on screen.
2: She like makes this movie for me. Like her character on the, like on the thumbnail for this movie, cause she's in white and everyone else kind of looks drab. I didn't quite know it was Tilda Swinton, but I was like, whatever's going on there, I want to know about it. Like <laughs> she's so perfect. The speech she gives, it's better too, like the second and third time you watch it, but about like, you know, be a shoe. You're not a hat, you're a shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, the shoe goes on the foot, the hat goes on the head. The first time you watch it, you're just like, is she what is going on here? But then you like really listen to it and you're like, oh my God, she's just genius. She's so good. I love her in everything. She was even. Have good you in seen it. We
0: Need to Talk About Kevin?
2: No, I haven't. <laughs> and I won't now. I'm scared.
0: Yeah. It's As it's she, not a good movie.
2: I don't want her to be ruined for me.
1: Well, you know, everybody gets gets like their big stumble, and then that's how you know if you truly love them. You know, if you're still that's able true. to. To
0: enjoy Your her.
2: ability to look away when they <laughs> <laughs> make a horrible mistake.
0: Fortunately for Tilda Swinton, I guess for myself and the, the ether of my brain, like I always think of the joke on Kimmy Schmidt where um, there's a guy who Titus is dating who's a closeted homosexual, and he talks about the struggles of having to pretend to be straight in New York City. And he says that, you know, to help with the cover-up, I had to get a – Picture of a really hot lady airbrushed on my car, and it's Tilda Swinton. (laughs) It's Tilda Swinton. (laughs) That's right. To the original point I was trying to get at, though, about Chris Evans, I feel, unfortunately for him, and he is good, he's kind of, I wouldn't say dwarfed, but the parts around him are so powerful, Mm -hmm. and um, it is refreshing, though, to see... Chris Evans in a movie where he's not in control of everything. And I, I don't mean that creatively. I mean, just, he's not captain America. Cause it, that seemed to be the norm for the past decade. Uh, mm-hmm. so to see him like in vulnerable situations, uh, mostly physically like fight scenes where he's potentially outmatched is, is a, a welcome change. But from an actual acting perspective and even just like the randomness of like that one Alison pill scene, and you have kind of these things thrown in throughout, um, I, I, I'm struggling to say I don't think he's weak in it but I feel that he it, he would be the weakest of the lead performances if that makes any sense I don't think he's bad at all I just think the performances around him are so much bigger and he's the lead so it kind of falls on him Like mm. you, I feel like I'm being unnecessarily cruel to him because I think he's great it's just the parts around him make it be, question why he's the lead if that makes any sense at all
1: well he's playing the the straight guy
2: yeah. It's the yeah. hardest part to play and it's such a divergence from what everyone knows him as. You know, he's Captain America and like you said like everything's getting compared to that. But he is a, he is a straight man in a way. He's like the least interesting character. Yeah. He has the least going on.
1: Yeah, everybody else is so much more colorful than him during the movie, mm-hmm. but then he gets the the big payoff which I think I think it's worth it and I I will tell you Alex I'll be curious to see if it works for you better on rewatch like it did with me because like I said the first time I watched it he got to his big speech and I was uh-huh. it's not that he mm. doesn't deliver it well but it was so distracting to see Chris Evans speaking those words like the the Chris Evans persona was just hanging over that big speech about Murdering people and eating babies and all that stuff, and I was just—it took me out of it. I I couldn't, I couldn't buy it, you know. And and I walked away thinking, man, he couldn't pull it off. Like he's, he's not good enough to deliver that speech. But then on rewatch, having seen him do more, uh, even like I think that his his portrayal of Captain America, like over several movies, has allowed him to do more. And then. See him in other movies you know just like london knives out i think that i've gotten more used to seeing him do other stuff so then when i watched this the, this the big climatic speech again i was not distracted by it anymore and i'm like he's he's fine i was invested emotionally it's a really tough i think speech to pull off I imagine it's such a big reveal such a big left turn that mm. i i can't you know, I, I, Alex knows. I always go to Michael Fassbender as my current, like, modern-day, like, this guy can do anything, right? Oh. And, uh, like, I think of, like, maybe Fassbender because he has more of a darker persona associated with him. Maybe he would have been able to give the speech and give me chills in a way that Chris Evans doesn't. But but Evans does really well. And so I no longer believe that it's not that he can't pull it off. I think that he, he does great, but there is... I mean that that moment is asking so much of whoever's delivering that speech.
0: There's a certain level of conviction that you need as a performer to cross into like delivering that type of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like it's um exactly to your point. I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just thinking it out out loud now that you're talking about it. In a movie that's serious, like if you were saying that shit in a comedy, it's not that hard to pull it off, you know, versus this is like the darkest moment of your life and you're about to potentially face your your creator and get your vengeance and you're talking about like the worst things you've ever done. And it, it is a lot to ask for anybody, but uh, yeah, to your point, I don't think he comes across as incapable in that scene, but there is a lot that comes weighing over you when you are Captain America and shit. So I completely understand why that was your thought on your first viewing. Mm-hmm. Having also just watched um, Sunshine, which he's really good mm, in that, has a yeah. couple of good dramatic monologues in it. It's yeah, he's a, a total package. He's a he's a great actor young man. <laughs> he's obviously
2: He's going places.
0: Despite what Jocelyn may think, he's remarkably good looking by by most people's standards. I agree and, with this now. Oh I think I've made
2: myself very clear. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: So that brings us to... Well, I did have one trivia fact. I did I did very minimal research on this uh, because I hadn't seen it and I didn't want to spoil too much, but um, something I found that I found humorous was director Bong Joon-ho often clashed with producer Harvey Weinstein, who fre- <laughs> who frequently interfered in order to demand his version of the film. Among the many requests, the producer insisted on having the fish scene removed in favor of more action bong who considered it his favorite shot in the film was adamant to keep it in he told the producer that he wanted to keep the shot in for a personal reason as a tribute to his late father who was a fisherman upon hearing this Weinstein said that family is very important to him so he granted bong to keep the shot in an interview the director later said it was a fucking lie my father was not a fisherman (laughs)
2: This guy's a genius.
0: I love it. That's He's great. a
2: genius.
0: He's so likable. Like, he's just, uh, he, he, he has just a genuine yeah. charm about him. And uh, he also, he was very weary about Evans as the lead because he thought he was too domineering a presence and, you know, uh, a role. But apparently Chris Evans was the one who reached out to him about the role. So there you go. That's Captain America. He's like, this is going to be my English patient. I got to do <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: this. <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh the, the guy, uh,
1: Kelly Masterson, he was at the Austin Film Festival uh, a few years ago, and he did a panel that was uh, where he broke down certain scenes from Snowpiercer and it was it was just great. Props to Bong Joon-ho for everything, but it was just hearing from somebody who was working closely with him in like structuring the story and just basically translating it to English too and all that stuff. You know, the, he was talking about their their working relationship at the process and it was just fascinating and it's just everything you think about Bong Joon-ho from, you know, that story with Weinstein that Alex just told and just from seeing the way that he behaved at the Oscars and just from the vibe you get from his movies It's like, yes, he is is that cool in person? According to mm-hmm. Kelly Masterson, he was, he was just a uh, very passionate about his work and very creative and very, but also very firm about what he wanted. In you know, is very determined to achieving it. So that was, I really liked uh, Snow Pierce. But I remember walking away. That might have been the first time I rewatched it actually after that panel, because I was just mm-hmm. pumped after hearing you know the the co writer talk about it and you know just the process of adapting this comic book and one of the scenes that they showed and they broke down was that big slow-motion fight scene, you know? And you could tell Masterson was, like, geeking out about it as he was, you know, watching it with us and talking about it. He was like, can you believe I made something this cool? Can you believe that my <laughs> name is, like, in the credits? It was it was awesome. So that's I, another I usually,
2: memory. I usually don't like when they do slow-mo action. Like, I find it gratuitous to a certain extent, but I really liked it here. Because it was very like choreographed and very—I know they all are—but I don't know. Something about it was very cool.
1: Well, I think it's it's uh, it's deployed in that just that one sequence, and then it's like, all right, and now yeah. we're gonna do something else next time, and uh, and it's just there's so much that happens in that, you know, because it's like first they're going, you know, against each other but then there's the break and then there's the tunnel and then there's the night vision, but then there's the fire. Mm-hmm. It is just, it's just so much, you know, it's just, it doesn't become about the slow motion. It's just the slow motion is one of the things that they throw in there. So that's, yeah. that was great.
0: Hmm. Um, in wrapping up here, I guess that's where we come to the most important question. Could you eat a person in the right situation?
3: Oh God.
1: I mean, there's, there's so many levels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know our friends from For Your Reference just did an episode. I haven't listened to it yet on uh, Alive, the Ethan Hawke movie about the Thank God We're Still Alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they crash. The plane crashes. They're starving. They end up eating yeah. some of the people that didn't make it. But there's, you know, a world of difference between eating somebody who already died versus what happens in Snowpiercer, which is like, well, they were eating the weak in order to survive. So. Yeah. I hate the fact that, well, well, see, one, I'm not Chris Evans. So I'm not going to be like at the top of the chain eating people. I'm going to be one of those people getting eaten.
2: Yeah, I'm getting eaten for sure. Yeah. I can't run fast at all. I try to think about like our dystopian future when nature finally reclaims all the territory we've (laughs) taken from it. And (laughs) some of us are fortunate enough to board the Jeff Bezos spaceship and get out there. But we don't have enough food, and some of us are in the back of the spaceship. Could I bring myself to eat someone? I don't... I just don't know.
1: I think I would end up being... Assuming I survive, because I'm not Chris Evans, and Mm -hmm. I'm not young and plucky enough to be Jamie Bell. So I'll Mm -hmm. probably be the guy that's going around drawing people. I'll be either drawing people or taking pictures with my phone or whatever, you know, like... Making it look like I'm useful, but I'm not really. Yeah. I'm completely, <laughs> you know, they can do without me and I'll be fine.
2: I hadn't thought about that if you have a skill. Because I am a nurse, so I feel like oh, they might keep you me are around, valuable. Right. They're not going to
1: eat yeah. you, Jocelyn.
2: Okay. Maybe I won't get eaten, but I might have to make the choice of whether or not to eat someone. You'll be
1: helping people that cut their limbs off just to stop oh, the. <laughs>
2: Yeah, maybe.
1: And Alex, you and I can maybe uh, just claim, but hey, we're podcasters. You don't want to eat us. We can keep you yeah. entertained these dark nights of the soul.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, like I am i live a Bobby Hill style life. I'm fat and I'm funny. So like I'm usually <laughs> able to talk my way out of any situation. It works out pretty well. Um, so it is one of those movies too where I had not really an existential crisis, but a part of it was just like freaking out. It's like, man, this... Most likely not in my lifetime, but there, there will come a day where if trends keep up the way they are, then Earth will just, like uh, Jocelyn was just saying, kind of just say, well, you had your chance and you blew it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, that's one of the things about watching these movies and Waterworld. Obviously, this is a, a more well-crafted film than Waterworld, but <laughs> at the same time, they that's another movie that's just like, shit, who knows if this could fucking happen. Mm-hmm. So it always spawns a lot of internal debates like that, but I felt the most pressing and important was to see if you could eat people. As someone who made it a point of their trip to Toronto to make sure I went to a restaurant and ate horse, <laughs> I, I can say that my intrigue for exotic meats is high. I don't know if I could eat a person, though. <laughs>
1: I'm really glad that that sentence didn't end with you saying it's somebody that made it a point to go to Toronto and eat
0: people. (laughs) And (laughs) eat a person. I've talked to people about that before. It's like, all right, real talk. If someone came up to you and was like, hey, you want to try a person? Uh, In this situation, uh, I, yeah. If it came to like this movie, I would definitely just be sucking down those fucking jello sticks (laughs) than actually eating a person fortunately though the three of us seem to have fairly blessed lives and aren't in that situation right now uh and then before we take it home here i got a the fucking frozen arm with the sledgehammer that was metal as fuck i was like what are they doing i thought they were just gonna let it out until like it just fell off or something yeah or just like pull it back in and just let him suffer but then they (laughs) shattered it with the sledgehammer like i said the only other time i've seen something comparable to that was jason x where he'd dunks the woman's head in the liquid nitrogen and then shatters her head. And so, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild.
2: Pretty hilarious also when like the next day he has a perfectly approximated like (laughs) stub or like, you know what I mean? Like, "Mm, no, that's not how that works.
1: (laughs) Those are the holes you poke. Yeah. She can buy out everything else, but that that arm didn't heal fast enough. I'm like, I didn't...
2: Exactly. I didn't see a stump shrinker on that guy. <laughs> yeah. No. No one's paying attention to that.
0: So now the moment of truth. Uh, our ratings on this. Um, Jocelyn, you're free to rate however you'd like. Julio goes on a scale of five stars. I go on a scale of A to F. I just oh. rate it like a paper. Uh, for this one, I'm going to go with a B B+, uh, because I do feel it drags, and there's some of the acting aspects that kind of feel – Square peg, round holeish in some of it, but I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, Julio, we'll save our guest for last. So, what would be your rating on Snowpiercer?
1: Um, I told you I, I went to a bit of a roller coaster ride with with Snowpiercer from the first time I watched it. So, I, uh, when I the first time I watched it, I'm pretty sure I gave it four stars. Then on rewatch, I gave it, I, I bumped it up to five stars, and now on another rewatch, I'm knocking it off to four and a half. Because it really, the, the ending, just that, it's just that bit. I, I don't mind the, the plot holes to be pointed out, but really the, just the end, the fact that to me it doesn't make sense for them to treat the, I, I read the movie, I, I the ending of the movie to me reads like it's supposed to be a triumph. You know, not like a, mm-hmm. a, a big rah-rah like we won moment but at least like a moment of relief of like hey they survived and you know but to me what's missing is just that extra bit of like oh shit but we're we're gonna die anyway that last moment is not there and uh mm-hmm. it, to me that's inevitable because you've you've done such a good job of portraying the world as something that is impossible to survive in regardless of the what the weather is doing at this point that uh it just it bothers me. That's the one thing I can't get past. At least I couldn't uh, when I watched the movie last night. That 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 last part of that little bit of the ending, I don't think that the movie and I are seeing eye to eye. The movie saying like, "Hey, isn't it cool? Like they survived and there's a polar bear." And I'm thinking they're dead. They killed everybody. And that like there were a lot of people that were still alive that were somewhat innocent in that train, and uh, they just blew it all up. And for what? So. It's still I love the movie. Four and a half. That's like really high. <laughs> Jocelyn, high. how about you?
2: Um well, in keeping with the theme of the show, I decided to make my rating scale an empty to full bag of ripe tomatoes. So <laughs> this movie is a is a full bag of of tomatoes. They're like coming out of the top. It's so full. They're falling out. So, yeah. I just... I really love this movie. I think I just watched it at exactly the right time. It was exactly what I needed. Yeah, and it, like, remained... Now, I think it's just, like, cemented. Now, I'm immovable in my praise of this movie, so...
1: I just realized, yeah, you were in the middle of the pandemic. You were quarantined, and you're watching a movie about people stuck in a train.
2: (laughs) Yes! It just, like, met me where I was at, and I was like, maybe my life... Yeah, isn't so bad (laughs) after all. And hello, Chris Evans. There was just like a lot for me in this movie. So, yeah.
1: All right. Well, that that is a a three-way recommendation from The Contrarians and our guest. Awesome. Jocelyn, before we move on to like our our future endeavors, Mm. it is time to talk about your endeavors. I've introduced you as a podcaster. I'm pretty sure in the previous episode when we were talking about you appearing, I just I was just talking about how like awesome you are, but I didn't go into detail about your your contribution to the podcasting world. So tell us mm. about what you do.
2: I am on two other podcasts. One is mine. It's called Breast Cancer Is Boring. We're on season two now. And uh, it's a movie review podcast. Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's about my own experience uh, with breast cancer. I have a co-host and we talk about it and it's very um, irreverent. We use all the swears because we don't really ascribe to the mainstream Susan G kind of pinkness mm-hmm. of the whole thing. Doesn't really like fit. Uh, so... We're not really the Captain America of breast cancer. We're more the baby eating snow beers. <laughs> Chris Evans version. So yeah. And you then need both. you need yeah, both I was about to in say the that world.
0: It's uh not the worst thing to not be associated with Susan G. Komen.
2: Yeah. We feel the same. <laughs> So there's that. Breast cancer is boring. It's available everywhere. We're on season two now. And then another show, not my show, but I'm on it as a co-host is Star Trek Wars because in the Venn diagram of people who have had breast cancer and people who have loved Star Trek their entire lives, that's me like right in the middle. So we, uh, the setup is we watch the same Uh, season and episode number of all the Star Trek shows and then kind of rate them each and compare which show won. So TNG, DS9, and Voyager, all of them. And then we do Discovery, we do Picard, and right now, because we've gotten through all seven seasons of the shows, we're doing the movies. So we've actually got Star Trek six coming up next weekend. My favorite Star Trek movie, Christopher Plummer, <laughs> is a Klingon, and he's just perfect. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, so, I was I was yeah.
1: looking at the feed and I saw that you were doing the movies, and I was like, so I downloaded the the original Star Trek, the first one, the first Star Trek OG. Like movie oh because I motion picture yes because i just oh, watched God. it for the first time a couple months ago
2: okay yeah. have you seen any of them
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. it, it was the only okay. one that i hadn't seen and so i wasn't yeah. expecting it kind of what i got which was, was to be really slow and it's you know, a bit of a drag and, uh I, there were some things that i liked they, it was funny because actually on Letterbox, i got into a my usual like spirit argument with our friend ryan from uh uh, Spit and Polish on the Yum, Yum Podcast because he really likes that movie and we had a pretty passionate really? back and forth yeah, about mm. uh, about William Shatner's performance and what the movie was doing oh. and what it wasn't doing it was, and I'm like alright well I need to I don't want to like actively seek this conversation with other people because I don't care that much <laughs> but I care enough that I want to hear my friend Jocelyn talk about it mm. so I, that's that's next on my stop on Star Trek Wars I'm going to listen very to that very nice uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and then I, I so I've told you before like when you first started the, the uh breast cancer is boring the mm-hmm. podcast it's a show that it's like i love the idea and i love that you're filling that niche that is not there because you know mm-hmm. when you were telling me about it the first time like at first you were like this is there's a lot of uh information about breast cancer that is like this way but there was not something that kind of uh Said what you wanted to hear. You you know you yeah you wanted something that was a little more like rougher on the edges and more like straightforward yeah. and like, just
2: give it to me straight. Right. Don't sugarcoat it. Let's not be optimistic about everything because this sucks. Yeah, just tell me how much it's gonna hard.
1: suck. It, and so yeah. I I love that idea and everything. It, but I told you back then, and I'll tell you again, you know, it's hard for me to listen to it because you are a friend <laughs> that I adore. And so I, I have to hear you talk about, like, Aww. stuff that's, like, very, like, straightforward, like, hey. And you're funny. Like, you, you know, you're funny in Star Trek. You're funny, like, on w- when talking about breast cancer. But it's still, you know, it's kind of like hearing, like, I don't know, my sister telling me about, like, how much of her day sucked. And I was like, you know, I would probably be able to get through this. A lot more easily if you you know if, if it wasn't my sister telling me about it so yeah it's kind of like the curse of being your friend when listening to that show <laughs> while still appreciating how awesome it is and how i think it's very important that it's feeling like a very important part of you know the culture so anyway that's my long way of saying like everybody should check out both shows <laughs> and yet yeah, if you thought that you know if you liked the way that jocelyn sounded When talking about Snowpiercer, that's how she sounds when she's talking about Star Trek. And that's how she sounds when she's talking about breast cancer. Yeah, this
2: is... You pretty much get the same thing no matter where I am, so...
1: You are the Ed Harris of podcasting.
2: I'm the Ed Harris of podcasting. (laughs) What a terrible thing to say.
1: (laughs) You brought it upon yourself. It is
2: true, and I did.
1: Well, Alex Mattis, do you remember what we're doing next?
0: Uh, I do not. What's what's so up
1: next is our bonus episode for the month of June, which was also uh, patron demand. Friend and patron Chaz Fisher demanded Little Women 2019 for the patron feed, but for the main feed, he uh, demanded a movie that he had suggested to us a long time ago. A movie called Getting Square.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah,
1: with your with your boy, charismatic enigma. The charismatic enigma.
0: (laughs) Sam Worthington. Sam
1: Worthington. Maybe this is the movie that that wins you over. He won the over with Terminator Salvation, but but you're a little harder nut to crack.
0: All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode as we move into perennial plugs. Uh, we want to thank the Festive Years, as always, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They provide us with the song's Last Stand, which opens us off, and they close us out with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to TheFestiveYears.com for any and all festive years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Ruth he's the man behind our logo, our graphics everywhere on our website, our Patreon page, on our upcoming merch. Uh, He is a podcaster, he's a novelist, he is a renaissance man. You can check his work on his website Mildemonios.pe That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. He is also on Twitter. You can reach out to him and ask him for a logo for comics or Whatever you want. You can talk to him about Snowpiercer. Uh, He is at Mildemonios on Twitter. uh, Or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Check out his podcast, Nacion Combi and Marginal, uh, about Peruvian current affairs and about economy, respectively. And also his latest uh, novel, uh, short story anthology about zombies, with each short story set in a different Peruvian region Uh, the gimmick is that the author of each short story comes from the region that the short story is set in Uh, thank you Hans for all your support
0: and of course Ms. Zoe Perez we appreciate all the work you do on our social media game Uh, if you haven't already be sure to go I think it's like on Facebook facebook.com forward slash contrarian prime and at contrarian prime on Instagram Zoe makes all of our pages look super nice super professional better than Julio and I could do so we appreciate all the work she does for us. Uh, so, Zoe, you can go to the front of the train. <laughs> well, with that all out of the way, Jocelyn, we greatly appreciate you joining us on this trip today and bringing this movie into Contrarian's canon. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank
2: you for having me.
1: We've reached your stop. You can. What do, what do you do with a train? Do you de-board? Uh,
2: <laughs> you blow the hatch. You steal a coat and boots, and you run for your life.
1: There you go. <laughs> You're allowed to do that now. Alex and I are stuck.
0: But that is going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.